We welcome a band called Lavender Scared to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. They release their full, 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 full. Start again. <laughs> you just died into it. You're like, nope. Yeah, I hope somebody thought they were having a stroke. That was that. how I felt when I yeah. broke a string in the first take. Yeah. Just, uh, now you know my pain. I know your pain. Uh. I, know, I know it well. Three, two, one. Tonight, we welcome a band called Lavender Scared to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. They released their first full-length album, It Gets Bitter, in March of 2019, and that is why we are here today. There's a lot of both the personal and the political in this album, and tonight we'll dive deep into all of that, and later they'll share some songs. Please welcome to the program, Lavender Scared. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hello. Yes, hello. I spend, uh, or at least at my last job, I spent about nine hours a day listening to podcasts, so it's weird being on one. Uh, The urge to laugh uncontrollably is... uh, Uncontrollable? Yeah, thanks. That's how adverbs work. This is um, a, okay. Well, let's just get right to it. This is the married couple. So yes. that was really a married couple moment <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah, we got the matching yep. tattoos and everything. Yep. Well, feel free to laugh uncontrollably at any point. Cool. And um, let's just do a podcast. Let's just do it. All right. Would you Would you say this is a political band? Um, I mean, one of our main stickers and the tattoo that we have and uh, is the lavender scared anti-fascism one. So, yes, we're we're pretty political. Um, We're pretty political outside of the band, too. Um, Are you card carrying members of the group? (laughs) Well, you can't really be a a card carrying (laughs) member of Antifa. Are you a platinum member? As I've said, (laughs) I I am. I paid extra. As I've said to to numerous people requesting me for interviews, usually from college newspapers, no, you cannot be a member. And also, how did you get my email address or my cell phone number? (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely a political band in the sense that like the personal is super political. And so we write about our lives without discounting the personal, the political aspect. You know what I mean? Like, I I think to people outside of your experiences, that's a foreign concept. So Mm. I would love it if we could kind of go deep into that. Sure. Personal is political is something that a, uh, you know, God bless them, but like a, you know, straight white person uh, living in a, you know, let's say a, a largely white town really has no concept of, you know, like to be, to be gay, to be trans, like that is uh, that is a, existing as a political act because you tell someone that and all of a sudden it brings all these issues up to the forefront. So I think that's foreign to some people. So could you go into that a little bit about how the personal is political for y'all? Yeah. um, Well, in a lot of ways, I feel like the political nature of our lives is not something that we chose. It's almost like it's a paradigm that we was kind of forced upon us and that like you know, we're just here living our lives. You know what I mean? I might choose to, I might be taking hormones to feel more like myself. You know what I mean? To be, to make my body feel more the way like that I envision myself, but that's not necessarily a political thing unless someone makes it a political thing. The problem is that people make it political because it's threatening to them. You know what I mean? Like we're here living our lives. We're not, you know, I think that there's this idea that I think people have a misconception about, you know, about political music, about, you know, uh, queer people about trans people that somehow we're 
choosing this in order to spite you, you know what I mean? Or some, to be different intentionally. And honestly, this is just who we are and we're having a political paradigm sort of forced upon us. And, uh, you know, and that looks like many things that looks like oppression that looks like being denied entrance to, you know, a bathroom because you don't like the genitals that I have or whatever. You don't think that those match the sign on the door, things like that, you know, that, were it not for this political paradigm would not be an issue at all. You know what I mean? If, um, and so when we write about that stuff in our music, it's personal in that we're, you know, talking about our lives, our relationships, but we're not discounting the fact that there is this intensely political aspect to everything about us because we are who we are. And that's not something we, you know, we chose. That's not something that we're trying to like, you know, what am I trying to say? You're not trying to foist it on anyone, which I think sometimes you're accused of. It's yeah. like get, right, get, the gay agenda, you yeah, know. Get it. <laughs> yeah. We need to go grocery shopping. That's the gay agenda. Um, right. <laughs> but big big gay is taking over. <laughs> but there's, there's also the thing. Um, so much of this album was written during my last year of college, and I was just going to Berkeley getting a linguistics degree, and then a huge political wave crashed onto my campus, and there was a moment very much of like, okay, well, what are you, what are you going to do going to Cal right now? Um, and that shows up, I think, a lot in our music, not necessarily in how it was written, because a lot of the record was written before February 1st of 2017, but um, in how we perform it and how we sort of contextualize a lot of our songs and very much even on the album cover, um, the artist that we were working with is an anarchist artist based in Chicago who I met on Twitter. And um, it just sort of beautifully happened. And I was like, okay, can you do outside of the window of this dorm room or co-op bedroom, the Berkeley skyline is burning and it looks almost exactly like if those pictures that you have seen of the Milo Yiannopoulos riots were um, sort of, if, if that fire in that single tree had caught into the rest of the city. Um, and I was like, campus. exactly. Yeah. I was like, Kit, that looks like the Milo photos. And she's like, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> which was a very, yeah. There's, yeah, I want to go into him and that whole thing. Um, sure. Did you, did you find my op-eds? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'd like to ask you about them later sure. on. But, but uh, you know, um, were you on the East Bay the day after Trump got elected? Yes. yes. San Francisco. Okay. So I was in the East Bay the day after Trump got elected. I was really close to uh, downtown Oakland, and people were protesting, and there were helicopters flying over, and there was just this enormous sense of uh, chaos that was going on. And I think a lot of people felt it emotionally. And so I, I'm assuming that you all were feeling that as well. I mean, I feel like everybody who lives in this country, if they didn't vote for him, uh, felt like a substantial shift happened the moment that they learned that he was elected. That night was crazy, the night of the election. Um, I remember getting a text from Bella of, I need to come over and get drunk. And Bella does not drink. (laughs) Um, That was like, that was a blackout night. Um, And then the next night we were out in the streets. Um, we weren't out for very long because you had a case hanging over you, Bells. Um, but yeah, at that point I still had some charges, but um, and so I didn't. So I was scared to be out there for very long because I didn't want to go back to jail. But um, but that night, especially like we had already started the band, and um, we had already picked a name, and um, you know, the Lavender Scare was a. Th- you want to talk about the Lavender Scare real quick, Neil? 
Um, I, sure. I would love you because you, you yeah. all taught me history today. Mm. Really? Yeah, I didn't know about the Lavender Scare. So uh, please, I would love So we you. were trying to decide on a band name and we were thinking about various things. We talked. We were thinking about Green Carnation as a band name. It's another... Uh, it's a it's a another gay history reference. It was more of a 19th century thing where um, if in like the era of Oscar Wilde, gay men would wear green carnations. And but there were, uh, you know, we have switched out one lesbian bl- bass player for another. And um, Charlie was not super into our our band name being a specifically gay man thing. Mm. And so we were we kept shopping things around. Plus, it wasn't that great of a no, name. No, it's not that great. Like, and it's it's a little like uh, you know grandma's flower arrangement um but yeah we we landed on lavender scared from the lavender scare which was the portion of the red scare where uh joseph mccarthy and j edgar hoover and all of them were convinced that if you were gay it would make you more susceptible to communism because you had like a weaker spine or a weaker will or something like that um so the um, the lavender scared would the lavender scare was a huge purging of gay people from government work during the same era of the, as the red scare in the fifties, um, and we picked then lavender scared partially because there is a band down in L.A. called the Lavender Scare, and also because we all uh, are very anxious people and are scared all the time and are stressed out um, and. But in a lot of ways, it was also that we're history buffs and that we like studying history and especially queer history. There's aspects to queer history that disappear um, mm-hmm. because people, you know, just you know, straight up because people die and they're not long, you know, alive to tell it anymore. Because these these stories are things that are told by communities and not often told by history books. And those, you know, it's a fact that our communities don't necessarily live as long as a lot of the more dominant communities in this in our society do. And so some of that was just like. Let's let's have this aspect of queer history that we can put into our band. That was before Trump got elected. We had written a bunch of songs. We wrote the song "It Gets Bitter" before that. Um, did we write "When the Walls Break" before that? Um, we at very least had the riff. Um, I don't <laughs> know if we had the whole song. And then that, and then Trump got elected, and suddenly we re- realized that this was actually a lot more relevant than we had mm-hmm. thought. Of. We were like oh, this band name means something more than just keeping a history alive. This is about a present moment that either is happening or will happen, you know? So, and I don't know if we touched on this, but so the Lavender Scare, it was a witch hunt in the government that involved mass firings of gay people in the 1950s. And um, Senator Helen K. Simpson has written, the so-called Red Scare has been the main focus of most historians of that time period, a lesser known element, and one that harmed far more people was the witch hunt McCarthy and others conducted against gay people. Do you see through lines in this government-sanctioned discrimination and the government-sanctioned discrimination that we see today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's... um There was a strange moment. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Bella, but we were, like, in probably a Walgreens just shopping for something a few days after Trump had taken office when there was the first big uh, action that he had taken specifically directed at transgender people. And a guy ran up to his, like somebody who he was at Walgreens with, I don't know if they were family or not, but, and like pointed at the headline in the newspaper to this person that he was at Walgreens with and like was having some conversation about it near us and it just felt like a shot out of a movie and since the since inauguration day um things have just sort of it's a it's a slow ratcheting 
and a slow sort of like tightening of a vice um, is how it's felt because um, a lot of it is um, things that get felt in other states before they get felt here. We have really strong um, like uh, public accommodations protections in California but um yeah i feel so weird about this because like right i work for the government and i feel like i'm working with more queer people than i've ever worked with in my life it's amazing but well, i work for the state yeah the state is of california very, very different. which is, right. is different and um you know the the, the federal government uh, employs so many people and then obviously within that pie chart is so many queer and transgender people um, it's, um, and there are so many, you know, queer and transgender veterans who are feeling very unsure about where they stand and that sort of thing. Um, plus there's a certain amount of like, rather than a big flashy purge where, you know, especially now where that's something that, um, would generate a lot of controversy. It's easier to slowly roll back our rights and slowly roll back protections, slowly roll back benefits um, for you know for queer federal employees things like that like in a way that slowly silences mm -hmm. queer and trans people versus like a big flashy purge and a big you know witch hunt which while horrible and and destructive and you know the kind of thing that tears communities apart um, and destroys and eradicates history this is happening the same kind of thing is happening it's just a slower more insidious process because I think they've just learned that that's a better way to avoid the headlines you, you find know? yourself especially in California in these weird sort of catch-22s where like we have non-binary gender markers now mm -hmm. but I'm not going to get one even though that would be kind of cool to have and feel pretty good to have that on a piece of on like the pieces of paper that I need to show somebody at the airport so that I don't get weird questions like that. But at the same time, it's like, am I on a list now? Is this, does this mark me as significantly different to people in other States, other countries? Is this going to keep me from being able to get a passport or if I have to, if I catch federal charges, any kind of that kind of that, uh, that sort of thing where the small, um, the small public sort of luxuries like that that we can find ourselves having in a state like California that you feel like within the larger national climate can even put you in more risk. Well, like DACA, you know? Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, and also we would be remiss to mention that, of course, this is all very intersectional, that like, you know, it's much worse for, um, for queer and trans people of color, um, even in California. Like, I've heard horror stories from friends of mine who are like, who are trans and who are black or indigenous or, you know, or, you know, uh, practicing Muslims or, you know, who have talked to me about just like, you know, the things they've gone through at the, you know, at the TSA, at the passport office, things that, you know, trying to fly to visit their parents or whatever, like in another state, like horror stories that feel like they sound like what I went through in county jail or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's, again, it's like if you target people who are, intersectionally disadvantaged there's less of a chance of like a big splashy headline right you know what i mean it's a, you know so we can you know even for us like you know as as white and white passing like queer people there are people in california who are queer and trans who have it a lot worse than we do absolutely so, so yeah i've s seen this point made a lot 
and uh, if it's a repeat for anybody, I apologize. But do you sometimes think about like when we look at this stuff in 50 years, like what we're going to think of how we live? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really um, beneficial to, to think that way, actually. Because if you're just too stuck in what's going on, it's very hard to coordinate yourself or, you know, mobilize your friends or anything you need to do. Mm-hmm. So if you look if you if you look at it like your every move is like going to be history, it's probably a better way to handle everything more seriously, in my opinion. Because these arguments are always framed as like, you know, just uh, just the other side, you know, other side of the coin. Like, you know, this isn't a hate thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like uh, the bathrooms, you know, it's like, you know, I, no disrespect to anybody, but it's it's sa- unsafe for the children. You know what I mean? Or it's like the sports is like the new one that you're seeing now where, you know, uh, we can't let trans people play sports because it's, it's not fair. And, um, you know, it's just it's like it's incremental exclusion, it seems. And I think what's it's more insidious now, I think. I think I think 50 years ago when we talk about like what we talked about, the lavender scare, it, it was more like hit you over the head discrimination, whereas now uh, it's kind of tricky. You know, they, they try to get, you know, excuse me if you've heard this phrase, but they're trying to shift the Overton window on a mm-hmm. lot of this discrimination mm-hmm. to where it's like you can't say and it's not in vogue to be transphobic or racist or homophobic, but you can definitely play with the lines of acceptability in terms of like what you say about uh, protected people. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Yeah. You, sorry. Oh, uh, like you can you can sort of uh, get away with a lot as long as you uh, frame it in sort of the right politics of exclusion that it's, you know, not directed at nice people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people, people are super worried or hmm? maybe a sentence. Maybe a lot of legislation (laughs) will affect everyone to some degree, but it will affect certain communities far more. Right. So you won't notice necessarily if you're not in those communities at all. Where you end up with situations where for so many, uh, even for so many trans people are never going to end up in prison so any legislation around trans inmates or legislation or you know actions by a da or whatever that's never going to touch you because you have a nice job and a nice house and you will never find yourself in that situation so you can kind of sit back and not care about the people who are at the very bottom even though that act is also an act of rolling back your um you know your your rights you just are in a position where you don't have to think about what it would be like to be in that person's shoes and a great example of that is that um so recently amazon just introduced this new feature for alexa where there's like you can trigger this um setting where like a trans man's voice will come on. Oh my God, don't get me started about. Right, you know what I mean? And I so there's no this interesting policy that. of like this really performative representation where these companies will be like, see, look, we included a transgender person. You can't call us transphobic. Or look, we're being inclusive. We're on the right side of history. While on the other side of the coin, Amazon sells facial recognition software to ICE, and ICE keeps murdering transgender people in, in custody. But. You know, but it's okay because Amazon included, you know, let a trans person record some shit for, you know, for a product that they sold. You know what I mean? There's (laughs) there's this very performative sort of representation that really doesn't help anybody except for like the upper echelon of privileged transgender people. This stuff, like I said, it's all very intersectional. When you say ICE is murdering people in custody, do you feel they are targeting trans people in custody? Or do you think just generally the conditions are just negligence? You know what I mean? Like, Um, And I think that both, you could say both are happening, that there is negligence and also just 
and you know targeted violence just like there's targeted violence against all transgender people who become incarcerated whether through being put in the you know in a in a prison that is dang more dangerous for them like putting trans women in men's prison or just you know through the negligence of not taking not allowing people to access things like hormone treatment that you know would allow them to maintain at least some you know modicum of mental health while they're in prison things like that like whether through like is there's not that much of a difference between killing somebody and letting somebody die i feel like in this day and age like um and you know yeah systemic neglect doesn't require like conspiracies or evil people it it just happens and people die and 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 we see it over and over with any combination of things that make it harder to exist in the current world that we live in I appreciate you clarifying that because I, th I think that uh, sometimes you read articles, say, about a person, you know, who's going to prison and they're they're not put with the gender that they identify as. Mm -hmm. And I think the vast majority of people read that and they don't understand maybe the safety concerns with something like that, or even like what it mean what it what happens to a person when they don't get their hormones on a regular basis. I mean that that puts a person in a very bad position. But because a lot of this stuff is foreign to a lot of people the everyday person doesn't see that as a, nefar a nefarious thing. Right. And so that's why I appreciate you, you pointing it out. You dedicated a song to Chelsea Manning. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that person mean to you? Um, Chelsea, Chelsea is incredibly important to so many people. Um, she is sort of the, the epitome of a symbol of resistance. Um, and she is... She is a complicated figure. She is, in many ways, just a heartbreaking figure. She's the kind of person who you just want the best for. I think so many trans people f want to protect her and, and keep her from any more violence than she has already been through. And um, so she is back in solitary confinement for grand jury resistance right now. which and is, has been for a month. Yes. And um, on, on top of everything else, it's, it's the thing that um, there's so much personal resonance with that for, for us here because we come from an activism community where people have been through the, the terror of having to go through grand juries and having to go through grand jury resistance and also living through the J20 trial uh, that she was involved with resistance to. Also, um, what is the J20 trial? It was um, the uh, kettle of people who were arrested on Inauguration Day in 2017, uh, who then were railroaded with uh, extremely high charges. Um, I believe all of the charges have now been dropped at this point. After a sustained public outcry yes. of, you know, of this is completely unjust most of those a lot of those people were journalists you know what i mean like who got just caught up in a in a police kettle and got hit with felonies and like you know we're like we're talking like dozens of felonies on some people like yeah. things that would land people life in prison you know and through a sustained public outcry over the course of years like people you know i think that like the last of the charges have finally yeah. been dropped from that and then like the irony of uh, having been through the the paranoia of watching other anarchists go through that and having Chelsea Manning be involved in that fight and then she is now in solitary for grand jury resistance just it just hurts your heart um 
Chelsea Manning, of course, uh, came into the public consciousness, I think, like probably seven or eight years ago, Mm -hmm. leaked some stuff about uh, one of the wars, became a figure who uh, was quite controversial, was pardoned by Obama at the end of his term, and, um, you know, is a a celebrated figure in the activism community as well as the trans community. Yes. Um, Just just like a brief summary. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, I, I, you called uh, Chelsea Manning a valuable member of the resistance. And I, I'm just curious, because I know y'all are, are very activist-minded. How do you, and I can cut this if this is too mean of a prompt to the people I'm making it mean to, but how do you feel Chelsea Manning compares to, like, the hashtag resistance people? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think any of them, uh, like, I'm I'm very on Twitter. Yeah, um, <laughs> me too. And, um I don't think any of them would be able to go through a week in her life in military prison like and and make it like it's it's very much a it's the epitome of this like armchair kind of mindset where it's people who are who have um not even a strong set of ideals because I think that um like the the like centrist liberalism is not really about standing for something really other than the status quo and the continued flow of capital and continuing to have your job in your house and not think too hard about what it is that makes you have this quality of life um it's not so much a like a coherent ideology that you're willing to die for so much as just like you've got your feet stuck in the mud and you're not going to move um but um the this the idea that um that just sort of uh you know turning on msnbc and consuming the left of center media and getting on twitter and getting mad enough uh at people a little bit to the right of you and then everyone to the left of you is doing anything to make anybody's life better is uh honestly like it's like we were talking about of like we are obviously living through history we are living through this historical moment that people will look back on and it's not like i'm out here doing the most but i will feel a little bit better about what i was doing during these four years i hope when i look back on this hopefully from several decades of distance than people who kind of sat back and were hoping that, you know, Rachel Maddow was telling them the truth. I don't know. Or people who just got extremely angry right. and vocal. But, right. You know, With, or like just spammy even, like, I don't know how to, how to put it into words, but. Right. I, just I hope ways I'm to put energy out. making sense. Sometimes you can find yourself in, uh, you only hang out with other anarchists, but, um, Anyway, <laughs> no, I, I think you are, and, and a way that I've heard it put, a, a criticism of the the like the resistance people in quotes, is that this is a barred point, but that they just want to feel normal again. They yes. want everything just to feel normal again. That yeah. was how it felt on campus during a lot of the like unrest. Was that people only got mad once there were like big orange barricades up on campus, and then they were late to class. And they were like, I just want everything to go back to normal, rather than, I'm concerned that fascists keep coming. It was that 
all of you need to stop talking so that I can <laughs> not be late to discussion section. Yeah. Whereas like a, a Chelsea Manning or like a Daniel Ellsberg, um, I mean, those are people who are actually putting their own safety and well-being at risk because they have discovered something or they have information that if the public found out about, it, it would change something. But they could also spend their life in prison. So anyway, I mean, those are people who are willing, in my opinion, to upend their lives to try to make the world better in their estimation as opposed to just wanting to feel normal again so i think that's a valid criticism i don't know if anybody else i mean let's also like you know we talk about chelsea manning being in jail for grand jury resistance what that means is chelsea manning's in jail for not snitching on her friends well i mean i I don't even think it's that that she and julian assange are the best of friends but it's that on principle you you do not talk to the people who want you to talk about that even though um yeah I, I i have seen people who are upset that she won't testify against julian assange because he's kind of a piece of shit um but it's it's just on principle you you do not talk and and you do not aid the state in putting people away even if if you know i don't know i, I don't want to like speculate on their personal yeah it's not worth speculating no. actually let's no. move on but <laughs> <laughs> would you say that everyone in this band is an anarchist that's for other people in the band to say to chime in on um yeah, oh, it, was, it was a it was shotgun question yeah. you know it wasn't a sniper it was a uh, blast everybody <laughs> my moon's a virgo i'm not real good with chaos <laughs> yeah uh sorry i'm just gonna leave it there <laughs> Mildly, yeah. mildly. Yeah, not 100%. Probably would round down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would round down. And we obviously have anarchists. We have anarchists. I mean, we have anarchists. Yeah, I mean, I consider many of my actions to be anarchists. I don't think that I will reach 100% anarchy one day. <laughs> like, that's not like a loading bar. Is that a goal, though? Um, yeah, no, not at all. Um, I don't want to, like, help set a weird standard that would be unattainable for anyone. I just want people's actions to be more selfless and in general. And I feel that that's often uh, interrelational, like personal, and it's often like on a large scale. And um, just calling yourself that is just, is just giving it a category just so that you can get other people on board being selfless and being what do you guys inclusive. Say? I mean, we don't have like the rule if you're, if you're gonna join Lavender Scared, you have to read these zines and be on board with this stuff. And But like, you know, we're pretty open. Like when we were auditioning, you we were like, hey, here's our deal, Christine. Are you, are you down oh, to like, yeah. it's like a soft band and like play it. this music I'm and down like, to try to make the don't world be a, a cop. Like, <laughs> well, and the thing is that I, I feel that this, this, one of the things I really like about Lavender Scared and about being in Lavender Scared is that I feel like, um, you know, politics is incredibly important in my life and activism and radical politics, revolutionary politics. These things are important. But I feel like Lavender Scared has value and meaning outside of a revolutionary paradigm. Like, we're not like an anarchist affinity group. You know what I mean? We're not here to wage revolution. You know what I mean? Like, like some bands will say that. Like, you know, and 99% of the time they're full of shit when bands are like, yeah, we're a revolutionary cell. Like, you know, like Tom Morello's new band, he talks about that. And I... I cannot stand that because we're make we're artists we're making you know and art is a, is an important tool of of social change i i very much believe that but i also feel like lavender scared is also we write songs about being in love we write songs about 
you know, about loving your friends and about, and about also we write songs about dark times, about being sad. About, and we write songs about trying to get laid at a party. Like, and the, I don't know if we played any of those tonight, but we have like a couple of them. <laughs> I feel like at its best, political music kind of humanizes your point of view to someone else. Not just, you know, your point of view, like what you, you know, what your life is like, but what you believe, how you see the world. And I, we try to convey that in our music. And so like, you know, these songs have a certain amount of like, you know, politics behind them and that like, you know, we see the world in this very political way and that informs the songwriting. But these are also just some songs that are fun to play that we like playing and that nobody has to be like on our, you know, on board with our political agenda or whatever to, to enjoy it. And I don't want that. You know what I mean? Actually, ideally, I'd like it if people could relate to this music, you know, people who have never heard of anarchism before because then you can understand me a little better, you know? Yeah, I, and I think that it's just because of the society and world that we live in that this uh, project even has the political nature that it has. Exactly, you know, yes. Un until you can walk around Lake Merritt holding hands and not have anybody give you a weird look, this band is still going to have political stuff, in my opinion. You know what I mean? I think people forget little things like that, just like the little things that can make you feel either uh, uh, not at ease or even unsafe at worst. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and you know, so it, it it has urgency inside you, and I think this band provides an outlet to channel that urgency and try to make sense of it. And um, uh, you're an anarchist too, Tom Gaffey. That's true. Yes. Uh, th this is a bit of a, a repurposed question. When mm. Damper was on, which two of you were in, I asked about what the United States of Damper would look like. But Damper's not a political band. so He's um, a Damp Nation. Well, Damp, Damp Nation. Nation is cool, but I actually have a better name for this band, which would be the Anarcho States of Lavender. And um, <laughs> it's not so bad. You know, I spent some time on that earlier. The states. Uh, well, the reason I, the reason I love talking to people who identify as like either like socialist or anarchist is there's always like a real intellectual force behind the belief system. You know what I mean? I think when you talk to people who are just like traditional left or traditional right, they'll state what their laundry list of beliefs are. But in this day and age, it doesn't seem like people deviate too much. They're kind of people are scared to be like you know, on the left and have a question mark next to abortion. Yeah, or, people are far too moderate right yeah. now, especially. It's shocking how dangerous it is to be moderate right now and, and not have a, you know, a side at all, you know. When you say dangerous it is to be moderate, what do you mean? I just mean kind of like what they were touching on earlier about how um, it is more hurtful to be the person doing the hashtag or, or doing the nothing or, or just, you know, to quote wanting, Howard Zinn, you can't, yeah. be, you know, you can't afford to be neutral on a moving train, right? Yeah, and you wanting your normal back it was never even attainable for someone else. And, you know, if you're voting, you know, to get your normal life back, it's just, I believe right now people need to be voting f on behalf of other people primarily in order to, if they're going to vote, you know. Also, who, the who, who would you vote for now? <laughs> Holy shit, Tom! That's a question. I love it. Yeah, look, uh, neither I, of us really why? votes. So. Like, I'm not going to vote this year. That's that's not true. I, okay. I vote. I vote. The I, thing don't, I don't know where they send my absentee ballot right now. I've moved a lot. <laughs> I, I vote in state elections. I vote for things to try to get like juvenile offenders less time. I vote for things like trying to make sure that sex workers maintain, you know, at least sure. like. Like there was that awful proposition on the ballot recently that was going to um, make, you know, put a lot of restrictions on how adult film performers could, you know, protect themselves 
during their you know in on their work in their workplace and um and it was going to hurt a lot of people who are friends of mine and so i uh you know that's something i felt it was important to vote against you know um i have no faith in any in any kind of uh democracy beyond anything local and i have very little faith in that but at the same time you know I, I don't want kids to be in prison, so I'm going to vote against that. But I'm also going to be out in the streets doing other things. And the reason for my prompt about the anarcho states of lavender is, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, what would a more perfect society look like? You know, I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't like constrained by the reality that we live in, I'm, I'm always interested, especially with people who have thought about this and feel really not comfortable, largely, with a lot of the ways our society works. And especially like Tom, we've talked on this show a lot about anarchy, and as a concept, you love it. I do. And, and I'm just curious, like, if anybody has anything to throw in, like, well, what would that look like? This is a fun one because um, mm-hmm. I uh, one of the other things I do is I'm a writer and I write like a, uh, I've written some like post-apocalyptic fiction that does, in fact, take place sort of in in one of these in like a, the anarchists out in the desert running around um, kind of thing. But it's, it's funny because also if you get five anarchists in a room, every single one of them will have a different answer to this question. Um, you know, some people think that we should still have cars and some people think that we shouldn't. We should just take bicycles everywhere. And some, you know, some people think that we should abandon cities altogether. Some people think that you should run your whole city on solar power. It it wouldn't be anarchy if you had to do what some people thought. Well, exactly. So then it's, I, like, I think I talk a lot, um, with other people about like, well, how would you live in the commune in your mind is, is the way that, that we sort of end up categorizing our beliefs, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's hard because it's like, well, now you're asking me to tell other people what to do. And I'm really bad at that. (laughs) You lose the whole concept once that happens. I think that that's the crux of it. I think that, um, I think that the anarchist vision of society is one without domination or at least like, you know, where any, any authority that anybody has over anybody else would have to be justified, like to the fullest extent where like, but you know, or replaced with a more egalitarian version of, you know, of, of human relations. You know what I mean? Like when you and your friends come up with a plan together to do something without forcing each other to do that, that's anarchy. When you and your, you know, when you and your, your band make a plan to let's go in the studio and let's make a record, let's, you know, we have this collective vision together without saying you have to do what I say because otherwise I'm going to hurt you. That's anarchy. You know, that's, that's anarchism in practice. There are you know? days in the studio like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Where we reach domination. <laughs> you know, well, nobody anar- argued for 100% anarchy, you know. No. <laughs> Go ahead. And I mean, so, you know, ideally, if we can get to a place where none of us can call the government thugs on each other to make us do, make someone do, you know, what we want, that's a better society to live in, in my opinion. I think domination is a bad thing for society. I think it does bad things to human relationships. You know, I think it makes people cruel and it makes people selfish and the ability to dominate other people and the normalization of that domination of, of being dominated is a thing that is just destructive to the human psyche. That's something I deeply believe. And that, you know, in a more perfect society, we could do away with at least most of those things, you know? And then I wonder if somebody wouldn't push back and be like, well, what about order? This is, this is interesting. I've had a, uh, an idea for a short story for a long time of uh, you have your sort of uh, anarchist ideal society 
and then there is a murder and nobody knows who does it and they have to reinvent being a detective to figure out who done it um because now obviously there are no police and like that so that that question of like okay well what if something goes terribly wrong and we need to figure out who hurt someone else but you know we don't have any things in place to compel each other to do that but i mean that would be rare because i i i'm not an idealist but i also do think that under most circumstances we we don't hurt each other uh and when people hurt each other it's usually out of need or some other desperate reason not because they like doing it it's a very very small percentage of people who are out here trying to do harm to each other and those assholes uh get ostracized from communities and communities that don't have states um and then you don't have your community support and you're out in the woods and you die um so you can play nice um or you can take your ball and go live by yourself and you'll probably starve um i think i agree with you with with most people with most people knowing how to act in a way that actually benefits them in the future and it won't be like everything will be perfect and fine because right. like again if you get five anarchists in a room somebody will probably get in an argument about somebody else and somebody is a smoker and someone isn't and has a, like a bunch of strong opinions and we're an opinionated bunch and it, like, there would still be conflict, but the fight would be fair, you know? Because nobody can call the cops on anybody else. It seems like you feel like a lot of our ills are actually brought on by the society that we live in, which is always used as the argument for maintaining order. But it seems like your, your counter-argument is, no, 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 that's actually the source of the problems. And you are just, like, erecting everything else on this foundation, which is causing a lot of this, this bad stuff. Well, and the idea of maintaining order means that somebody has to enforce that order, right? You know, and I think that the the general, like the sort of the basic anarchist response to authority, to people justifying authority, like we need order, we need to keep people in line so that people don't hurt each other is, well, if people can't be trusted with freedom, how can people be trusted with authority? They can't. It's exactly. It's yeah. Proven daily in this country and around the world. Yeah. Um, there's, I'm... Uh, there's i'm gonna get a lot of these facts wrong i'm sure um so don't quote me on any of this just go do the research because it's super interesting but there is a town in in mexico um that seven years ago um was you know i I believe what was happening was that a lot of their a lot of the surrounding indigenous land was getting clear-cut and polluted by corporations and so a lot of people got together into like a direct democratic assembly and they decided that, you know what, we're going to just kick out these, these, uh, horrible clear cutting, horrible polluting companies. And they did. And then they kicked out the politicians who had, you know, uh, looked the other way who had provided, um, incentives or, or breaks for these corporations to do these horrible things to this rapidly disappearing indigenous land. And then they kicked out the police who had, you know, um, who had defended them. And this was about seven years ago. And now this is a town of about 20,000 people. Um, Vice did a really interesting report about this. So don't take my word on this. Go look it up. Um, if you look at something like Vice, you know, the town in Mexico that kicked out all the cops. Like it's, a, it's an article you can read. Um, you know, in that seven years since that's happened, um, crime has essentially dropped to zero. Uh, the murder rate has essentially dropped to zero. Um, the, they're not entirely self-sufficient because they are still dependent on like the local economy surrounding the town. And so I think that it's, it, it's difficult to say that they're like fully anarchist because they are still like dependent on like the local or the surrounding capitalist, you know, economy. 
but it is very interesting to see how society changes, how human relationships change when people can solve their problems just by interacting face to face in like a group, you know what I mean? In in a way that people do day to day always, but in a way that has power, you know? Um, there's a, one of the things that anarchists say a lot is we love power and we hate authority, you know what I mean? And together we have power and it's not a coercive power, it's a collective power, you know? Um, so that's an example I think about a lot. It's just like, there's a power that we have together that we don't need to be coerced into doing the right thing, you know? Seems like the argument that you all have is that, like, if we are forced to live in community with one another, like, there are a lot of things that just fall into place naturally that we sort of take for granted. Is that a true statement? Right. It shouldn't be looked at like we're being forced into these communities. We just exist and we we naturally benefit from human connection in, in large and small communities. So the, the craving of the order is a laziness, in my opinion, that you can, and it's because the majority of people the order like works for. And so I just believe that um, it's a laziness essentially, is, is not wanting to talk things through, is like you get to the height of your emotional cap, no more left to give, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna call the cops, you know, or something, Some you, you wage some authority on someone instead of really trying to think about the problem and where you guys went off or where it went wrong. People are just, um, I don't, people isn't very specific, but I would say the general citizenship here is um, just unimaginative. Right, it's, it's like, it's so much easier to be like, well, you know, my neighbor is a real piece of shit and he's, he's awful to his family. Easy to say that. So yeah, I mean, most, most people's neighbors probably are. And, you know, he's awful to his family and so I'm going to call the cops on him. And therefore, now it will be somebody else's problem versus having to sit there with the responsibility of, I listen to these people fight and I don't do anything. Um, and I don't know them and I can't do anything because like I, I, you know, I don't know her and I don't ho know her family. Like that kind of situation I think is really common for people. And then instead somehow the answer is let me get a bunch of strangers with guns involved and that'll help. You know, I remember being essentially, you know, some percentage homeless and one really bad night in, you know, juxtaposed to others where I wished that in a neighborhood that was very familiar to me that I could at least just like knock on someone's door and just request a very simple human need. But I feel that in this society, like things like that are just not attainable whatsoever no they'd call the cops on you yeah yeah <laughs> easily like a lot of people asking for help get the call the cops called on them you know yeah so i mean i'm sure there would be some people who would let you stay there but that is that concept i but think it doesn't is foreign. feel attainable exactly to the person in that position you don't even try it's just kind of like out of reach but to me like looking back it should be completely regular like i would you know so right and we almost have like a culture of of not selfishness, but of like an I've got mine, you know what I mean? Where like doors are all locked, windows are shut. No one's ta no one talks to their neighbors, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Well, this is actually a point that you've made a lot and is becoming more and more and more real. And this is when you zoom way out from the planet and this is when you look at uh, tightening of borders and when you look at destruction of communities from climate change. I've, you you want to talk 50 years from now, uh, I feel like you're going to see that on just the macro level. You know, people are going to be unable to uh, live in parts of the world 
and they're going to be screaming for help, you know, to get into other parts of the world. And those other parts of the world are not going to let them in. Kind of hilarious, actually. Yeah. Like, well, it's really ironic. No, that, that's been predicted. And we're seeing that start now. Mm-hmm. Actually, a, a lot of people are starting to close their borders down. Uh, you've got people that are, that are being forced out of where they live in the Middle East. Uh, trying to make it into Italy and Greece, and, and uh, Italy and Greece are being overwhelmed, and they're trying to slow that down. We have now, uh, boy, thousands of people at our border, mm-hmm. and uh, half of us are trying to stop that, and half of us are trying to let it come in, and we'll see how that plays it out. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a thing that is really starting to take shape around the world. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the book, there was a book that I read several years ago, and, and one of the scenes was uh, them actually machine-gunning people trying to uh, come into Australia looking for a place to live, mm. boat people trying to get into Australia. Mm. And uh, that that is becoming real. Not necessarily in Australia, certainly not in New Zealand, uh, but uh, we're seeing that begin to take shape right now. I mean, Trump literally said that last week. He was like, yeah, machine-gun, he's just better than a wall, you know? We could do the wall or we could just kill them all. And, you know, and the the ongoing, you know, the thing about we're talking about like, oh, people just want things to go back to normal. Like this is not going to go back to normal. And capitalism and liberalism has no solutions to this. And if it did go back to normal, it would be a shame, honestly. What what is normal for crime? Normal is where the people you criticized, someone at the table criticized earlier, I think it was you, the people who maybe have a place, have a house, and who largely are not really affected by a lot of the Mm -hmm. stuff that you are all concerned about. They, they have a conscience, and they would like everybody to be treated equal, but ultimately their lives are pretty comfortable. But they don't like waking up and having Trump be president. That's normal you know for what I them. Mean? Well, what I'm saying is that th- this is the criticism of the hashtag resistance that we were talking about earlier. Like, wh- what is abnormal to them is how they feel, yeah. not the consequences of the policies. Or even, like, looking down the road 20 or 30 years and thinking about that. I feel like there's a lot more emphasis on, like, it just I, I, let's go back to Obama or let's go back to a, a good Republican, you know. Um, but I, I I agree with you. I don't I don't think that they're going to get that. No, um, especially with this looming uh, with the, with just the conclusiveness of the science that we have about our planet. It's 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 just funny that that's what's going to get people off their feet, like inevitably. Like there's no questioning that there's no other thing that will affect everyone other than that. And, to, and for the human race, it takes so long to come to that conclusion and do so much irreversible damage before, you know, you can even begin to go the other direction. It's just laughable. But what's tough about it is the solving the problem of, uh, you know, large communities and even countries ending up either underwater or unlivable, uninhabitable, is it requires a car to go by with a large, loud engine <laughs> so that I can hear myself. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Not done I don't yet. like Ooh, that. Boy, yet. this is someone oh, I don't man. like. I, I don't know a, this person, but I just have a sense that we wouldn't get along. That's a guy who's <laughs> yeah. just got to let everybody know. He's got, he's a, got big a big dick. Big dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, big dick machine. Um. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's saying in the episode, it, loud engine. Anyway, <laughs> that's the intro clip. My, uh, uh, my other car is my dick. Yeah. Um. Write it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the just looming back death to, of millions. Yeah. Fuck. Back, back to the end of man. Yes. Can we please? <laughs> anyway. Yes. <laughs> it just it, solutions to it require a fundamental reimagining of society and how we do business as a people. Because Tom, you're right. Fifty percent of people say 
lock them out. The other 50% of people are like, no, don't. But they don't really have like a coherent argument as to, I don't know, like set in place because you can't make the argument in this society of open borders. That's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. You just can't make that argument. Well, you no, can make the well, argument. Well, what I mean yes. is like you can make the argument, but it's just like m- the majority of people hear that and they write you off. And so w- my, my point is that we just, we're at this, this, this moment in time where like, it requires a, a fundamental reimagining. We, you know, something like open borders, if that is your argument, that would require a fundamental reimagining. But it really wouldn't, because the EU has that. Like, and they seem to do mostly fine under, like, the circumstances. Like, the, the, I'm not a reformist. I believe in a much more radical reimagining of the world than just open borders of no borders but there but, are examples yeah like a lot of places you don't need a passport to walk from you know you know northern ireland into standard regular flavor ireland yeah, that's changing in our part <laughs> exactly of the world, yeah but that's changing um, over there too but i also think that it this is one of the moments where it's exciting to be an anarchist because one of the most relevant things to me is trying to figure out how to get around these sort of like big capital P on CNN for a debate political questions into someone has a need and I can meet it. How can we set up infrastructure that is outside of the state? And I don't have the answers and I don't have the network for this, but it's the the place to find yourself at where you are in between these huge state structures or nonprofit structures and, and the people who have the needs and being able to just say, I have a roof and I have dinner and I can connect you to people who can help you and or you know you see this when natural disasters hit because those are often like places of very concentrated need where people will just go and and the people who mobilize are the anarchists going around like the big NGOs to go just get things to the people that need them and um and that's really inspiring to me just hoping in the face of this like huge doom that we are all facing, that there will be opportunities to use the things that I believe to do the right thing for people. Yeah, and I think that may be what's maybe exciting for activists beyond the terror and the horror is we are at a place in time that requires a fundamental reimagining of how we do things. I mean, it's like if one believes in climate change, which I believe everybody at this table does, uh, believes Christine, <laughs> like, well, you know what I mean, like, but, how but do I mean, you feel yeah, about climate oh, no, change. But there Christine. are a lot of people who, there's a lot so of people real. who don't. Yeah. Christine. It's so real. I know it. I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I'm just saying that it, you know, if yeah. that, if I'm sorry to frame it that way, but there are a lot of people who don't, you know, it's probably I'm, beneficial I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying that, uh, well, the, the human race could potentially not be here at some point. So it's like, well, if that's the reality, well, then we better start reimagining it so that we can keep For going. what reason? What's the question? Why, why, is why the, does why that are, matter? Why are humans gone? Yeah. Uh, why, why does it matter that humans exist beyond, what, two more generations? I love why every kid that, that I see out on the streets today. I'd love them to be able to grow up and... and uh, but as we look at, uh, oh, we've got to save our race. We've got to save our the human I'm on species. Your side, and, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. See, I know the world's been existing forever, way, way, way before humans, and it's gonna yeah. keep existing way, way after yeah. us. I just, I think a failure is just I'm not a failure. Have kids, it's, it's just not regular. regular Earth. See, I'm not gonna have it's kids either. We're the but only ones like, taking it personal. <laughs> see, and and here's the thing about that: um, our birth rate is going down in the United States. And we know 
there are there are economists that seem to be thinking anyway, and, and a few people think that we actually need to have more people emigrating up into the United States. Yet we're pushing back, and, and the people that that really want to come up here right now are people that are willing to do jobs that a lot of us will not do, and yet we're still pushing that back. Um, which is the argument against maybe having borders as we have them today, or at least an argument against having uh, uh, so much strictness in the way we allow people to come into our country. Um, is there? Do we have space here for everybody? I don't know. Um, I really don't know the answer to that. But the fact of the matter is uh, the, the paradigm is changing. Our, well, you guys right here at this table, uh, you're not thinking about having kids. And a lot of us aren't, and I didn't. And there is space for the, the children that I didn't have, children that you will not have. And yet, uh, we're not quite to that spot where we're okay with that. See, it's interesting because the, I, I hear this line a lot of the, the people uh, sort of think that humans have done terrible things and therefore we should all go extinct. Uh, is, oh, we're animals. That's not, that's not my point. Anymore. Right. But the, that it is because we've made XYZ mistakes, but it's not that everyone has made these mistakes. And I don't, it, I don't mm. necessarily feel that it's right to sit here in th- this country that has such a high standard of living and say, well, I've decided on death for all of us, you know? Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily what people were doing, but I hear this line of this, like, just you know anti-human pessimism and i'm like i don't feel comfortable just choosing extinction for everyone or sitting here thinking that that is something i would rather just be out there until my legs fall off trying to keep people alive but we have a group think that may actually do that for us quite frankly do we believe in climate change is there climate change do we believe in it and will we do anything in time to change that I have, a, I have a question just real quick that we can bookmark to edit out. Are we at any point going to break for commercial? No, why? Oh, okay. You got to use the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> That's all right. Um, you have to go use the portal. That's okay. I'll put my shoes <laughs> back on. You just run yeah. and go if you want. All right. Yeah. I've talked a lot, so yeah, we'll live. Yeah. Okay. Well, we... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go and come back? Do you want to yeah. go and come back? No, I'll yeah. be right back. Yeah. All right. Well, the interesting thing, just to jump off of what Neil just said about like feeling uncomfortable with sitting here and, and choosing extinction for the human race or saying that, oh, fuck it, you know what I mean? Is that there's a lot of people in our society who wake up every day and continue to choose that most people starve or that a lot of people starve or that a lot of people don't have homes. And that's a thing that people do and they live with it. And it's the more we can get away from that kind of thinking of, I'm okay with the fact that there's enforced scarcity in the society. I'm okay with the fact that there's more empty homes in Berkeley then there are homeless people. Like the more we can get away from that kind of thinking of where we, we excuse and normalize these, these, these denials of, of, of resources or, or in interest of preservation of a system or whatever, like, or even just like, you know, yeah, the, the better. <laughs> the more we can get away from that, the better. Isn't that wild to you though, about how people don't look at all the empty industrial space and all the empty homes and they, it, it does not naturally cross people's minds it's like oh people on the streets could be in there oh it does though oh well I what mean, i mean what i mean us, is yeah. well, <laughs> what i mean is vast swaths of the country right because of just you know the society that we live in like we're not we're not taught to think that way mm-hmm. it's not a thought that i would have had naturally before the last couple of years 
I mean, the last couple of years has been, I think, a political awakening and like a, just an emotional awakening for a lot of people on a lot of things, myself included. But it, it is really interesting that you cite that because I assume that's a real statistic. There are a lot of empty homes in Berkeley. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oakland especially. Oakland, Berkeley, A lot of people San walk Francisco. by and they're like, oh, I can't wait till that's a, a bodega. And I'm just like, but <laughs> like, you know, I, there's a guy in my hometown who's friends with some of the people I used to work with there who really wants to utilize the church that he works at to house homeless people. But he's fighting all these like regulations and all of yeah. these like code things that keep it very difficult for him to just just help large masses of people. But you there's only... a point to some of that. I right. Mean, so we have all these empty buildings, but but we can go back to the ghost ship and realize that if we're going to house people in these buildings, we are going to have to make some improvements. So we're going to have to make those houses, mm-hmm. those places livable. Uh, they've got to be plumbed. They've, they've got to have uh, they've got to be safe. Yes. And they've got to be warm. So there, it's more than just the empty spaces. It's actually making those spaces habitable. And for a, for a fairly sizable amount of the homeless people, there's also getting them to want to come off the streets, quite frankly. Because um, I know several that really don't have any intention of... Uh, they've been offered ways off and, and uh, ways out, but they're quite comfortable where they are, and that's anarchy. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's a choice someone wants to make for themselves, then, like, you know, go for it. Yeah. But also, like, even, you know, getting away from even, like, long-term living situations, like, if you own a car, your car has a heater in it. You could keep someone alive on a cold street at night. And the fact that people don't, and that's not even the thing that crosses people's minds, is, hey, maybe I should leave my car unlocked so someone can keep stay warm at night, is a is a sign of what our society is about. That's like that we're more willing to preserve this idea of private property or of, 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 of a housing market or a free market, whatever that means, than human life. And, you know. It's powerful. Okay, I just want to follow up. You'd be fine with the human race going extinct. <clears throat> yeah, I, well, I don't, I don't, uh, yes, I, not purposely. I certainly wouldn't seek it. But at the same time, I don't. I think we are narcissistic as as a species, and uh, in it, boy, I, <laughs> so you think survival for survival's sake is not yeah. A worthwhile what, so endeavor. do I think we should be heading out into space and colonizing Mars and the Moon and all of that? Do I think we should be, be for the for the good of our species mining the asteroids and mining the universe? No, I I don't know if that's the thing we should be doing. Uh, I don't think our species is that special that we really maybe should be taking these risks. Um, now, and I will say, uh, because in, in my mind, what I consider about death and such, uh, quite frankly, if there was a chance for me to come back and have better skateboards than I had when I was a kid <laughs> and live on a town that has a swimming hole uh, on the river, hell, I would love to have a world like that. I'm having a great time right now, and I love everybody around me. But the fact of the matter is, uh, our species has uh, not been here for a long time, and we may not be here for a long time. So how, how far will we go? How much change would we be willing to make throughout the universe for us to live as a species? The question would be, why? I guess. Why? Do you still get to be we? reincarnated, though, if the species goes well, in Well, I assume I could come back yeah. as some other creature, yeah, well, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and I, 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 I feel you, because there's a certain extent to where my opinion does not matter. Like... I have a pretty, I wouldn't say dark because I don't believe this perspective to be dark. I just believe it to be realistic. I pretty much believe that humankind is going to go extinct. And I don't think that that invalidates 
anything we do because we were going to go extinct anyway. Like, right. you know, everything dies. Nothing is permanent. You know what I mean? What matters is, is now, the relationships we have now. And it doesn't really, my opinion on whether humans should go extinct or not doesn't really matter right. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And so it's not something I, I have my days where I'm like, fuck, you know, fuck this place. This world is hell and it'll be better when we're gone. But, you know, that's mm. also a, 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 not a I don't want to say irrational. I don't like framing things in terms of rationality, but it's 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 an irrelevant thing to think yeah. because it doesn't matter what I think. It's what matters is what's happening, you know? I think that's where a lot of the despair of our current era comes from is I think that the last few years have made people feel a lot less hope. They've made it's made people feel like they have a lot less power than they previously were led to believe that they had. So, uh there is I think where you see a lot of this despair and desperation is coming from a realization that it's like, oh, it's like I, I actually maybe don't control my destiny as much as I thought I did. It seems like that a lot of the stuff is like being written by, you know, 500 people in a room far away from me. You know what right. I mean? Mm -hmm. And that that's a scary thing. And I think that more people are feeling that way than they did, say, 10 or 20 years ago, um, which gets us to your new album. It gets bitter. Um, and um, I know that this is a play on the it gets better mm -hmm. phrase that was meant to kind of encourage lgbt youth uh, there was a there was a period i think uh, dan savage and his right. partner coined it um there were some suicides that were going on and and they they said you know what just this this is a slogan that can help you and and i'm curious like is there anything here to talk about with that title beyond the wordplay um, well, it's interesting coming into it off of that conversation about hope because it's an as um, I have found myself as a, a very strong nihilist and, and to tell someone something like, oh, it will get better. Keep going because you know that there is going to be something better for you without actually knowing if that will happen for that person or not. That is a a lie to make you feel better. You the person who has survived. Um, and I, um, a, a lot of this album is an album that is about going through really hard times. Um, the, the title track, It Gets Bitter, is, uh, there's a lot of it that is about, you know, my final years of high school and my first few years of college, which were, um, as they are f not for a lot of people, just, you know, not happy times in a young person's life. And, um, things did not get better when I came out. Things did not be get better when I got away from my family necessarily or found my way to college or you know I uh I will be depressed until the day I die because it's genetic um and things you know I I, I you know it's, it's a thing that I think of and not not in a dark way but it's like it's a terminal illness it'll get me some way or another maybe it'll be that my back breaks down or uh, from the stress or, or whatever it is, but you know, it'll, it'll, it's like uh, catching cancer early and, and then you just know it's there and you monitor it and it'll catch up with you one day. And so that like idea that it's, it is actually not going to get better and you were lied to is kind of underneath so much of this of like, you won't find love. Maybe you will like, but you won't, you're not guaranteed love. And, uh, and the guys who made PSAs that told you that you were going to go to college uh, and, and move to the big city uh, where you were definitely going to be able to afford an apartment um, and you were going to find love and find a career and everything was going to be fine. You just had to keep going. That They were completely full of shit. 
Um, I think it was actually more attainable for them. And, and, and saying that things don't get better is less of like a, a nihilistic thing for people than it is just like a, a, like a little realism that they need. Like it's actually, I think it's more beneficial to, to be nihilistic right now. We used to have a song that had a line in it, hope is a mistake. And that was just sort of a fact for us in that moment. And, you know, I, it's not that, that like things are necessarily like dark and all I do is th- sit around and think about skulls and death. But like that is that is still frequently true that the good life is not necessarily just coming to you because you lived long enough. Do, do you... <laughs> Do you feel like meeting Bella and marrying Bella made your life better? Oh, um, I, I mean, I don't even know if I would be here. That is a true fact uh, about me. Um, but, um, and on top of it, just like everything changed, like my politics changed. We, and I had, I, I am the kind of person who needs a person. And now I have a person. And um, That's a very Barbara Streisandy. Barbara's canceled. Yeah, I was gonna canceled. say yeah. you didn't get the article. <laughs> it was so quiet for a second. Listen, as a like as a dramatic Jew, I will take it. Um, given uh, current uh, hey, statements that may or may not have been made. Hey, if he'd said it a month ago, it would have been fine. exactly, exactly, exactly. I love <laughs> But um, yeah, but in an anarchy, uh, why not? Wait. Uh, it, why uh, couldn't she hand? say that? Oh. Okay. So. We were talking about the album title. <laughs> You're right. We're doing so well. We'll, no, we'll have I, the free speech I, I discussion think, later. Let's give this moment uh, <laughs> that you were just having a, a, a little bit of an extension because it was a beautiful thing that you just said. You know? And, and, I, and I'm struck by it not because I find it contradictory to what you said before. Because it seems like your, 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 your anger at the phrase it gets better is not the possibility that it can get better, just that somebody would definitively say that to someone else when they actually don't know that to be the case or not, because it could actually get quite worse. And it's okay to accept that it didn't get better. Like, it's okay to accept that you're in a shitty place. Like, and also it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to be like, my life is better now than when I was 16 and I was in the closet or whatever. Like, I mean, I would say, yeah, my life is better now, but that, I don't feel like that was something that happened to me. And the point that was a neutral process in which I just, things happened and, and I got better. Like that took work. It took work for me to accept that I was a miserable, fucked up person that I had to change. And that's not something that comes from, a platitude that someone tells you that, you know, that's something that takes work to acknowledge that things are not going to get better just because I want them to. This is something I have to work at. I have to find a better life for myself. And the first part of that is acknowledging that, yeah, I was lied to and that, or, you know, yeah, that my, the world that I thought I was growing up into was not the one that I ended up in. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something that everybody at this table can relate to. Um, and, I think that, you know, it's, you know, to go back to the album title, the idea that, like, it's okay to be bitter, it's okay to be jaded, because that's a, that's a first step towards accepting things as they are, and then that's a step towards changing things. But, you know, nothing's going to get better. You know, you're not promised anything in this life, you know? 
that right. kind of a, that and kind the, of an idea that the you have to take things you know you have to take the life you want you know and the, the, the despair that i think a lot of people can find themselves in when they're young um or when they're less young is um coming from a place of that feeling of a broken promise that you you were promised a certain life and now you don't have it and um versus um the the sort of feeling that you can spin that to of yes i was lied to and i've been handed this set of circumstances that i probably didn't deserve that i i didn't deserve the bad things that happened to me but i still sit here with my mind functioning well enough ish and uh and a set of choices to make and and some work i can do to you know you know, be a be a, a a person who is productive in the way that I want to be, not not necessarily like a quote unquote productive member of society, because um, uh, you know I don't have a job right now. But um, yeah, that that made that made sense. <laughs> so there are themes that persist through this album, and those sort of permeated from your lives 2016 2017 which was a, a very dark period for you mm-hmm. uh, anything you can share with us that you think stands out on this album i think would be good to document um sure um 2016 was like the worst year of my life and most of the lyrics to these songs were written during that um there are references to the breakup of my first real long-term relationship, which ended early in that year and, and set off a whole series of events. It was the guy I had been with in high school and then through my first years of college. Um, we used to have a song that we do that's on our first EP that's about that that we don't really play anymore. Because I got myself to a place where I realized I wasn't actually that mad about him, but it was still this like first just major rupture of a relationship I had been in for four years. Um, and then coming out of that and through very, very dark times and through the loneliness after that where now you are in college and you are a trans man trying to get laid in the college gay scene, which is not easy because uh, those boys do not want anything to do with you. (laughs) Um, And we have a lot of songs that are that kind of like very standard, almost pop punk cliche of like, you know, trying to get people to notice you, trying to, you know, uh, or bitter, like, why won't you pay attention to me kind of songs that are from that perspective, which um, we have a song uh, called Sick of the Grind that is specifically about being on Grinder and being really tired of that. Um, and and that, that experience makes for some really funny songs, but it's also like, was a super real period of my life where I was just so lonely and I felt so shitty about myself because I was like, nobody wants to touch me. And like that whole like messed up thing that, that, um, that people, especially like young trans people who can fall into attaching validation to, will someone fuck me or not? Uh, which is a dangerous trap. Kids, if you're listening to this, stop trying to date cis people. It's bad for you. Uh, and, um, and just just give it another couple of years, and uh, and go to therapy, please. <laughs> the, the experience you just described would be so foreign to anybody who doesn't know a trans person, and I appreciate you sharing it because that's a super vulnerable thing you just shared. Sure. You know, mo- most people, you know, they have insecurities about their appearance or whatever, or like, will someone love me or not? But what you just described is uh, it cuts to your core of your value, especially when you're already lonely, and then you have a decision that you need to make. It's like. 
do I share this piece of information on the front end or do I like get to know a person a little bit and then do I share it with them? It's like, which is riskier? And again, we don't need to go down that road. It's just that this is like a whole set of circumstances that people who don't have your experience don't realize and don't realize how hard it is. Well, and then it's interesting then trying to write fun songs that will be fun for punks to dance to that are about this. So of like, okay, like, all right, let's take this let's distill it down to its emotional core uh, of whatever it is of anger and sadness and that kind of thing. And then let's turn it into a really badass song and let's play it really loud at a bunch of people who might or might not share that experience. And that's always a very fun process for me. Like I think for some people, depending on what genre you're working in, that could be kind of alienating if you're like a singer songwriter, really putting your soul out there. But we, as a band tend to have just a little bit of distance and a little bit of humor that makes that process easier of like being out there being like, all right, yeah, this is super vulnerable. Uh, also open this pit up, like dance to it. It's really fun. Um, humor or, um, sorry, humor or um, on a song like when the walls break, it's almost like a bravado. Um, right. There's a lot of swagger in some of these, too. Like, we have a song called Nothing But The Best that is literally about not being able to get laid at a party um, and, like, being like, well, fuck you then. And it's just... Because you're trans. Because someone realized you were trans and decided they didn't want to fuck you. Yeah. It, like, it's very specific in the lyrics. And it's also, like, so much fun to sing. It doesn't, like, it's not like I'm out there on stage feeling really bad about myself and thinking about college. Like, it, you know, it, it's... If that makes sense. There's no method acting that has to happen for these songs to be a good time. Yeah, you put them through the, yeah. s- the song grinder. Exactly. And out the other end came something that you now get to have some fun with. Right. Yeah. Right. You experience the misery and now they get to experience the fun. Right. Because you experience the misery. Right. There's a funny <laughs> alchemy that happens there where we take something that's incredibly personal and negative and scary and alienating and, and hard to sit with and we turned into something that is not only fun but is is empowering can have a swagger to it can have an a you know a, a sense of, of personal accomplishment attached to it of like here i am i'm still here even though we're talking about this awful thing like you have, you know we have a song called kill your sons that's literally like about you know as literally we're joking but not really joking about feeling like we want to you know telling our parents that we're going to kill ourselves you know what yeah. i mean and that that piece is actually based on a prose poem i wrote in high school that is like one of the darkest things i ever wrote i wrote it and then i like sat there looking at it like this is i've scared myself because i wrote this and there are like and then that turned into this like just absolute banger and that's really cool to me and it is you know it is quite literally about suicide i'm like get on board or call the morgue um but it it's it's very cool like being able to a that like i did you know move on kind of past that really dark period of my life and it can be funny now that is cool um it is also cool that it is such a fun song to play and that you know i can put on my tall shoes and dance around and and generally people have a good time does it surprise you that you've lived this long sometimes yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't think I would be lived at C21. Yeah. And there's something very liberating about that. It's like you're like when you've gotten past that age that you didn't think you were going to get to, you're like, well, this is bonus time. Shit. That's what I'm you saying. Know? Um, there's, a, oh, there's a Frank Turner lyric that I, 
that hit me so hard once when I when I heard it where he says something like I used the lyric is something like I used to believe that I wouldn't live to see 25 and when you live like that every day is a gift if you survive it but now was it oh god I don't remember the rest of the line um I'm tripping sorry um well, it's, uh, the simpler version is that the Pat the Bunny, I always wanted to die young, and now I feel younger every day. Yeah. Come back, Pat. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> you mentioned the song When the Walls Break. Um, yes. And this was inspired by some pretty powerful experiences you had. Yeah. Could we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, directly, it was inspired by the first time I went to jail, which was when I um, was at a protest, and I was... Um, you know, there was some vandalism happening at this protest, and I, you know, I was, I, this is right before I met you. Yeah, this and was, I was right before we started the band, actually. Yeah, um, I was, comparatively to now, I was a lot more naive, and I, you know, I had been to a lot of, like, like very, um, like, uh, energetic protests in the past that had involved, you know, vandalism sometimes, and had involved, um, you know, a certain amount of like resistance to the police. Not like, you know, we were, it was more like, like playing pranks on the police things. Like we were like, we were kids, you know and I mean? I was in college up in Washington and we would go to Seattle May Day protests and we would do things like, you know, uh, the bike cops would come around and we would throw thumbtacks on the ground so their tires would get punctured. And it was like, it was all a game until it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I had these budding revolutionary ideas. I wasn't really an organizer yet. I was just, if, you know, sort of in some circles, I would go to some marches and, um, and actually, uh, you know, before, um, this even happened before I, I had gone to jail, um, this walls was also inspired by another event that happened where, um, I was in Sacramento in July, I think it was July, July of 2016, um, where there was a white supremacist rally at the Capitol building and, um, of about, 40, uh, something like 40 uh, white supremacists. And there was an opposition of about 400 counter protesters that showed up and I was among them. And um, at one point of uh, the two sides, you know, uh, got near each other. And I looked and saw a bunch of my friends on the ground bleeding out from stab wounds. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. I'd never seen people, you know, get hurt that bad in front of me you know what i mean and and then i watched the police um form a circle around our friends who were on the ground bleeding out and not letting us get medical attention to them you know letting the people who had stabbed them get away who did not have masks on who were you know completely uh felt very safe in doing this knowing that the police would protect them and to this day none of them have been brought up on charges um though they tried to bring charges on the counter protesters for things like noise disturbances you know what i mean um so that was a very informative political event for me um, in that I realized that there were consequences, you know, to making your voice heard, to, to existing in opposition to uh, these structures of domination that eventually they're going to notice you existing in opposition to them and they're going to swat you down. But then I got swatted down um, and that was about three or four months later. I was at a protest. There was some vandalism happening. Um, and I got caught up with a couple friends by a line of riot cops who beat us bloody, threw us in a squad car, you know, the whole deal. Um, and we got hit with some heavy charges. Like I caught, you know, four counts of felony vandalism. Um, and that hung over my head for years. And actually it's still kind of hanging over my head because 
though the court case is all settled, though I never, you know, eventually we got, you know, the charges got dropped because it was our first offense. And it was years of feeling like I'm going to go to jail any day now, you know, and that wore me down, you know, as a, as, as a human being, you know, um, feeling like, you know, there was this thing that was going to prevent me from being free for the rest of my life, you know? Um, yeah, that's what, what the wall, when the walls break, it's about, it's about the consequences of, of deciding to stand up of like, well, you stood up and you, you, you told the cop to go fuck himself and you told the Nazi to go fuck himself and you were out in the streets and what happens when they come for you, you know? And you, at the time when we wrote that song, we were living in a really shitty apartment you know, in, in downtown Berkeley, pretty much two blocks away from where all those white supremacist marches kept happening, um, where there was so much violence and, you know, against friends of ours. And when every time these marches would happen, they would be followed by a wave of, of, of photos of our friends online, you know, with their addresses or their names or people getting arrested, people getting, um, you know, uh, raided by the, by the FBI, you know what I mean? Hearing whispers that the FBI was, was uh, searching friends of ours or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that we were going to get in trouble, that there was something that was gonna catch up to us for the simple thing of we went to a field and we shouted at some white supremacists and we told them to fuck off and that alone was gonna put us in, you know, serious harm's way. That's what that song's about. And, yeah. it, and it's a duet too, so it's also, my, par- my parts of it are about what it's like sort of being, being the loved one of someone who does that and and sitting at home and not knowing if somebody's going to come home and and you know I've gotten those you know what 4 a.m. calls from jail from me yeah, yeah from yeah. you and then and then Charlie and then talking to Charlie's mom and like that that whole situation and that that's that's a really hard place to be of then being like all right well we've got this set of fires to go put out I have to go to I, I have to go uh you know figure out someone's actual legal name because I don't actually know their legal name so I can go bail them out of Rita, you know. Um, and it's often those like mundane realities that are the worst. It's not even like, you know, yeah, I got beaten by the cops. I had blood all down my face. My friend got his nose broken, whatever. We were in jail. Cops threatened to rape us. That's all horrible stuff. That's traumatizing. But the stuff that really stuck with us was like, holy shit, we might have to pay like $3,000 to the state for this or we might be on probation or you know, okay, we have to pay bail now. We, ha- I don't have that money. Who has the money? We have to try to figure that out. Like those little, those little things, those little mundane realities of, of, of the criminal justice system or whatever, like are the things that really wear you down over time, you know, of like, oh, the bail bonds people are trying to extort us, you know, whatever, things like that. You know, the, these little injustices that people don't even think about, you know, when they think about like protests or they think about, you know, uh, you know, there's like a, sometimes there's a romance to like, oh, I'm a revolutionary and I fight the cops and I got, that got crushed out of me pretty quick. And that's, I think when I became a real organizer is when I decided, you know, there's actually, there's no romance in going to jail and costing your friends a lot of money. There's a romance, you know what I mean? The, the, the value here is in what we do together and the work we can do together and the freedom that we can win for each other. There's no romance in going it alone and getting your ass kicked, you know? And yeah for all the paranoia and when the walls break it is the kind of song that i wouldn't write now necessarily because our we've been through so much that um you know my perspectives on that like the line you know baby aren't you scared maybe but i don't care is really fun to sing and and is a good time but doesn't even necessarily 
reflect the reality of being in that situation because you actually do care and didn't, then you're sitting at the bail bonds pl- pace right uh, the bail bonds place writing a huge check to just get your friend to have one less night in jail and and you don't have that that kind of indifference anymore and it's not that like oh I'll never play it again but it it feels different with two years distance plus that song is written from a, a perspective of deep isolation and that's not something we necessarily feel anymore because we're connected to a vibrant community of people who are also in the struggle with us. And we didn't necessarily have that then. We kind of felt very much like we were alone, like we were the only ones going around Berkeley and tearing down the swastika stickers when they would come up. We were the only ones that would follow the guys with the Trump flag around and like make sure that they weren't, you know, harassing people on the street. And we don't feel that way anymore. We have, a, you know, we, we have a beautiful community around us. So we write from a different perspective now. It's kind of like what you talked about with little communities instead of big cities. You know, you're, you're trying to just like push these people out of your community, you know, and that's why I want to get to uh, the, uh, the, the Milo story. Mm-hmm. You mentioned up the, uh, the op-ed that you mm-hmm. had written because you were writing for, was the Daily Californian? I was. I had an opinion column at the Daily Californian um, in the fall semester of 2016, which was also when we started the band. Um, And a lot of the things that I wrote columns about, um, because it was more from a perspective of just kind of being uh, like trans and loud and angry. And I wrote columns. I wrote one actually about like all of my miserable dating and hookup experiences. I wrote them about... um, I wrote them about, you know, just the, the all the fakeness in the scene, which is kind of, you know, funny in retrospect. And and then after the election, the, the tenor changed completely. And then also um, there are one of the things that I remember the most about uh, the day of the inauguration was when we came home and uh, we were sort of decompressing because we'd been out in downtown Oakland just like standing around with a banner, nothing that much happened in Oakland itself. Um, and we um, we saw the news that uh, someone had been shot at outside the Milo Yiannopoulos event in um, at the University of Washington, and um, that was three days after my op-ed came out, uh, which I had written very off the cuff, uh, just kind of like. Uh, this guy's coming to my school. Fuck him. I have contacts at the paper. Um, I'll write some inflammatory thing. He'll probably ignore it. Um, and I trended on Breitbart. And I'm really glad that they didn't put my face out there. And I'm hoping that by saying their name, it does not summon them like Beetlejuice. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but um, that was that was crazy times. I had to basically like do crazy like shutdowns on all my social media i had been a columnist at the school paper my social media had been totally public um did they just swarm on you after you got published immediately yeah the moment that he reposted the article um there were strangers writing essays on every single part of my facebook feed that they could gain access to do you think he did that specifically to spite you like to get you I mean, it's what, on he, the radar. He, it's what he does. It's yeah. what on he purpose, does is yeah. he finds people who seem slightly vulnerable or are, you know, connected to a very publicized campus that is always a flashpoint for whatever national issues. Or I think maybe he just name searches sometimes to see what people are saying about him. Um, but, you know, he, he sicked the dogs on me and the dogs came and 
it wasn't hurtful. I wasn't like, oh, no, they're saying mean things about me because that's kind of what happens when you poke the hornet's nest. But from that moment, from the, the day of that publication, like, and then three days later, somebody was shot outside one of his events. There was a moment I looked at you and I was like, Bella, I, should, I need to dye my hair. Like, somebody's going to fucking recognize me and, like, something terrible is going to happen. Because, I, you know... I mean, let's not put it too fine a point out. You were getting death threats. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was a, some of them were the 4chan kind where someone would just write you an email telling you all the slurs they knew, which doesn't hurt your feelings that much. It's just kind of someone doing it, a word diarrhea of outrage. But it was... Um, and then, then after the shutdown of his speaking event, you know, my face was showing up on docs sheets of that that the um, that white supremacists on the internet were spreading around with each other of like this is all the antifas in Berkeley or in California or like here's all their Twitter accounts or whatever. Um, and you know what's spooky about the emails that you mentioned? Uh, just mm-hmm. like uh, they're obviously just trolling you. You know, they're just trying to like get a rise or whatever. Uh, well, m- maybe not. Maybe that's two different to things. Well, w- that's what I'm getting. Yeah, at. exactly. Uh, what I'm getting at is like the uh, the online troll culture bleeding into real world violence. Which is which is a thing that's happening now. You have people who are posting ironically just to get a reaction out of people, but then you know they're going in and they're shooting a bunch of people. That just happened a couple of weeks ago at the mosque. Yeah. yeah, that person. If you watch their video, or you not not the live stream, but the uh, like their manifesto, it, it was filled with um, the online like troll culture stuff. Yeah, and then also a bunch of just like base hatred stuff. Yeah, and so that that's what's so spooky about this is a lot of the time like a guy like Milo or some of these other provocateurs. They're 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 acting like they're uh, not what you think they are. You know, they're oh I'm not that big of a deal, or or they they I'm just poking fun, or I'm just whatever. But but actually, uh, this stuff bleeds into real world consequence. Right. And so you you saw that. Yeah. On both sides, though. Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I mean it's, it, here's the deal. I uh, I I definitely identify on the left. But I'm ashamed of some of the alt-left people as much as I'm ashamed of the alt-right people that are willing to troll in the same way, willing to make the death threats, uh, willing to try and shut down the freedom of speech on both sides, willing to don't let this person speak, and let's have violence over them speaking. Holy shit. Very good well, point to bring up. Well, I, I'm not sure that that's really helping in fact i think it's giving them more of a platform can i just say before you respond i would i would lift alt left out of that because i think that that is like something that has been created what yeah it's is not, there an alt right there's an alt right there's not an alt left alt left i think is more of like a, a something that a was kind of equivalency I don't but, think, but it I is. but I think that you make a very valuable discussion point of shutting down speech and the discussion of like should That's we a very all left thing to do. If you're going to be shutting down someone who has a different opinion of yours, that's very alt. There's a difference between that and words that actually incite violence immediately, if right. not yeah. if not further in the future. Let's, let's it, get into this one because sure. like yeah. obviously in the uh, I was I was there the night of, of February first, and that's on the record. I wrote an op-ed about being out there. Now February first was when with the night of the big Milo Yiannopoulos yeah. riot. Was the object was the object his, to shut him down, or was the object, absolutely was yes, to okay. keep him from talking? Um, okay. And so I've and since then, like I've done uh, 
a number of interviews with a number. I did an interview with Newsweek. I did an interview with the Wall Street Journal that didn't end up going anywhere. But I've talked to a lot of journalists about what my point of view is and what a lot of people's point of view is and why that was necessary. And um, why was it necessary? Well, because specifically in that situation, he's not going there just to talk. He can talk anywhere. Well, he's going he to can, be provocative. Well, he can he can rent out a uh, you know a banquet hall somewhere or a barn or wherever he wants. He has a, a huge platform. He has at that point, I think he still had his Twitter account. He doesn't anymore. Um, he had he had a book deal. He had all kinds of places to go talk. Going to the University of California, Berkeley, is not he, a uh, is not a constitutionally protected right. And I um I did Duke Moot Court in high school. I actually used to be quite the constitutional scholar. Um, uh, funny for an anarchist, but yeah. Um, so that that action is he was going there to specifically. Uh, as he had done before, target actual students on campus because he'd targeted, um, I want to say it was in Minneapolis. It was. Um, just a random trans woman who was just doing gender-neutral bathroom activism on campus in his big PowerPoint of hate that he does when he comes to speak on campus. And that's like a, an actual, like, she ended up withdrawing from school. That's a tangible effect in the real world that is not just him standing on the street corner with a sign saying hateful things um and and we had also uh, heard rumors at the time that he was going to use the platform at cal to specifically out undocumented students on campus with the purpose of getting them deported and on a sanctuary campus like that is you know that is an actual act of tangible violence against someone that is going to really impact their life it's not walking up to somebody and punching them in the face but it's really fucking up somebody's life was he invited by uh he was organization in, he was invited by uh by the uh, uh berkeley college republicans that's yeah. their specific thing and today um, you can you can they, say whatever you want on any platform as anyone but to show up somewhere on purpose um, with those goals and, is um, very much its own statement, which required a response. It wasn't like, you know, he just went live, you know, on some media platform. It was like, he chose to show up somewhere where he's not welcome. I mean, dude was the editor at Breitbart. Dude had a right. giant platform. He did could do whatever just, he wanted. He could say yeah. whatever he wanted on that well, platform. Did he out uh, uh, students on that, in that platform? No, because he got shot down. Because no, I'm talking about on Breitbart. Oh. Like, did he end up also doing it later? Yeah, did no, he? No, no, no. He's he asking, did, did the, he ever out? Did, did the he, doxing well, and the word word had it that he was going to out uh, students that were uh, illegal aliens? Uh, did he do that somewhere else? Then did he just say, "Well, he's taken part in things like that on Breitbart. He's taken part in doxing on his own social media platform. Things that did tangibly put people in danger. So yes, I would say he used his platform to put people in danger. And what doxing is, just so you know, if you don't know, it's if somebody posts under an alias, uh, you know, on the internet, uh, basically revealing who they are, giving their home address, giving their phone number, revealing who their family members are. Yeah, oh yeah, that's that right. Sort of yeah. thing. Well, that has. That has happened on both sides, though. That absolutely has happened on both. Sides. Let, let's uh, let's let's talk about free speech for a second, because yeah. okay, so we're artists, right? We're we're not not just are we're artists. We're a punk band. We make music that is explicitly against the government. That is, you know, we talk about this in interview. We're doing that right now. We have spent this whole interview talking about how much we don't like domination, how much we don't like the government, how we personally have been victims of the government. Like, I like free speech. I like to be able to say whatever I want to say because we need to talk about things like this. And free speech is a thing that artists value very much. Like I like, so let's not say that like we're against free speech, no, but you can't separate speech from 
my thing is you can't separate speech from action. If, if, if I, you know, like if, if we're going to talk about speech, if I, if I am stalking somebody, right? If I am stalking somebody and I send them a text every five minutes that says, I love you, right? That, I might mean that. That might be some, my personal feeling is that I love this person. That might be a genuine sentiment. But that action, that by doing that- That fear and, and get is, a restraint. Exactly, or, exactly. Or if you walk up to somebody in the street and you say, I have a gun and I'm going to shoot you unless you give me your wallet. That is, a, that, that you might believe that and that might be you expressing your free speech. But that doesn't change the fact that you are threatening Absolutely somebody right. and, 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 you know, that is not a, you know, if we're going to talk about constitutionally protected speech, that is not something that is protected. You know no. what I mean? Yes. You know, so there's the funny line is how do you separate the content of someone's speech from the effect that it has? You know, like, and I think that we want, we like to say that, oh, everybody can say whatever they want. Everyone can have their own opinion. But that doesn't mean that you don't, there aren't consequences for that. No, and the consequences not. both of sorry the consequences both of how that affects people and how people respond. Milo Yiannopoulos coming to campus and using his free speech to endanger people that I you know members of my community like that might be his right to go try to do that on a street corner, but we don't have to protect his right to do that. And it was in very, our city. It was know? very personal for me because obviously I had antagonized him in the press, and I was like, well, is it? Uh, is it going to be my face in that PowerPoint? You know, like, and that's perhaps that is constitutionally protected, but that would have dire consequences because that's a, that's an event that is live streamed to all of his internet followers, which he has a lot more than me and a lot of control over and a big cult of personality that I don't have on that scale. Like we are not equals on a playing field. So, you know, he and any student that he's going after. And then that's, not even talking about like, okay, well, maybe it's just that people do not want to be around the kind of people who come to his speaking event because you call him a provocateur. What is he provoking? What action is he trying to provoke? Mm -hmm. Is it me being angry or is it the people in the audience going out and taking action based on what he tells them to do? Yeah, I don't know it's, if I believe him, but I think it's, I, I it's, think it's an more interesting, you being angry, but... Well, but, but I the mean, point, I'm, I'm good. The point is, so here we are. Yeah. We were expecting that he would uh, flash somebody's face on the screen. We were expecting that he would turn uh, turn in names mm -hmm. of, of people. Did that happen anywhere at any time? Honestly, even if it didn't, there's a sort of statement in just showing up with your body and everyone knowing who you are in the first place. I don't think you even need to take it. To, to that place you just took it for right. it to be no longer permissible. Well, and let's uh, let's talk about what happened that night. What happened that night was some people showed up with some masks and they broke some windows and that got the sit that got got the, the event canceled. So we you know that that those windows were insured. The university didn't pay out of pocket for that. Those when you know nobody nobody <laughs> was charged money for those windows whoa, by breaking whoa, some windows. Whoa 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 whoa. That's true. Except somebody paid for those windows. Yeah, the insurance company. Okay. So the, what I'm saying is that... I mean, you understand how that affects the economy, right? You understand how that affects the cost of insurance. Right now, I mean, unfortunately, look, I am not... Again, I, I am speaking as an anarchist here. That's my point. Um, if either so, you're an anarchist or you're not. So I'm, I'm over here saying that... Um, so what I'm saying is that some windows were broken in the interest of protecting the lives of people that we cared about, that we didn't want to take the chance that he was going to reveal people's life. And what we were just saying, uh, you know, 20 minutes ago or, or half an hour ago, that there's something profound about 
placing private property and placing the you know the free market above the lives of people who are important to us and that is something that is wrong and fucked up about society and you were totally on our side half an hour ago and i'm still look i love you and i am on your side but the question the deal is or at least as far as i go you guys are saying that i'm hearing that you think that now that somebody's life would be in danger if he spoke words Mm-hmm. That's really distressing to me. The problem with um, this Hello. freedom of speech, sorry, mm-hmm. thing is that the, the literature we have that we're given to put a category on on what we're allowed to say and when we're allowed to say it and, and the fact that we're allowed to say things is um, not foolproof, is right. illegitimate to begin with. And, and when, we, when we retract and we say, oh, yeah, the Constitution, oh, yeah, the literature, it's, it's not literal at all. It never has been literal. And when we, when we decide to lean on it. it should be. Yeah. I hate to be that way. I, here's my problem with being an anarchist. I was born an anarchist. I was born to believe that I was born a free individual, that no man, no woman, no government really has an intrinsic right to tell me what I can do, what Even I can't do. Even when you're hurting do. people, though, like your rights Correct. Seats, they should stay That's intact. That's anarchy. Ah. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, yeah. I well, you, but here you we maybe are don't now, back to your it, original but, point, but, and I, I'm not interrupting you. I, I think I'm, you're making a point that's you interesting. Are you talked. No, I, what I'm saying is you said that earlier. You said that you get five anarchists in a room. Every People have five different and thoughts there you of what have anarchy it. is. Yeah, point. there you have it. Well, and, and mine is, mine is, 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 is a free, as a free-born individual. The, the fact of the matter is just because I would hear someone's words, I would not join an army. I would not hurt another individual. I would not steal from another individual. And I would certainly be willing to accept the consequences of any actions that I am a part of. And I've... I think you're a gem. I've felt that. I don't think everyone's like that. And and when when we go out in solidarity... Well, that's the problem with anarchy. I agree. I mean, I understand that, but I can't get it out of my head. Unfortunately, (laughs) I can't tell myself... Something that I don't believe, and I can't change what I believe. So you're going to find that I'm going to take both sides, all sides, everybody's side. That's the that's the conundrum I have with my anarchy. You have a you mentioned that you believe in like a a total innate uh, freedom. Yeah, and it's it may cost. Me I my believe life that's one kind day. of an American ideal. I don't think that's very across the oh, board. No. You know, anarchists as far as the no, world is concerned. It's not. Right. Uh, you can read history going way back. So, I wish I could remember their names now. They so were, there was a husband and wife his, historian group. Uh, uh, husband and wife historians. And I now for the life of me, I can't remember their names. Uh, and that was the first time I read their version of anarchy. And anarchy existed before government. Mm-hmm. But it, you mentioned it. If you were different, if you broke the law, if you did something that was not right with society at that point, you would be forced out. Or you may even be killed. Right then and there, which That's I see, anarchy. which I see, this as a version of that. I mean, I see this as a like, get the hell out of here. We don't want you here. Go somewhere else. Yeah, we don't want to be around you we, and your friends. You can go take your ball and go home, and you can go play by yourself, and, not with us. And where it gets complicated is, you know, it is a campus that has people who yeah. have a, a variety of beliefs. And I know you take issue with the fact that the man was invited to the campus by yeah, people I mean, whose beliefs you may find to be deplorable, but yeah. he was invited. So I understand the point that you're making, yeah. but I also see what they're doing as an offshoot of what we discussed earlier. It's like if we look at the world as just a bunch of small communities. 
this is like, hey, Milo, you can say what you want to say, but don't say it here. This is our this is our community. Let's also, you know, I think that calling Milo a provocateur is is giving him a lot of credit. I think that <laughs> Milo is not a provocateur. I think he's a recruiter. I think that Milo is recruiting for people who are much further to the right of him. Milo is a, you know, I mean, he's we, an opportunist piece of shit, but sure. that's beside the point. Okay, sure. <laughs> the, the, you know, he's an opportunist, but people listen to him. You know, he has a, uh, he, he had, he doesn't so much anymore because he kept getting shut down, but he used to have a large platform. A couple of years ago, he had a very large platform. He had a lot of fans. I think he and, still does. Nope. He's hugely in he's, debt. He's, he's no selling longer like paintings for on Instagram for money because he's completely out of money. Well, I think he got canceled because he said something about like pedophilia or something. Also. Yeah. Well, I mean, that happened yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He's but in the same pile true. as Barbara Streisand now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, <laughs> Milo is not coming to campus to make people like me upset because, you know, I have people on the street who call me fag or whatever, or I have people who look at me weird or I, you know, like I said, I have, you know, had cops threaten to rape me. These are things that I am used to dealing with. My life has been a violent and scary place since the moment I was born. Because it's interesting, you talk about being a free born person. I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I'm free. That's I feel like I have to get free. And people like Milo are making that harder. People like Milo are recruiting for people who are, like I said, much further to the right of him, people who openly advocate for genocide. And uh, this is not me spitballing here. You can look at sort of the way, we were just talking about how the way the internet troll culture has turned into direct and mass violence, right? That's not, and we're just saying like, wow, that's so interesting. Milo is like, a personification of that troll culture and he and people like him recruit for these organizations that push people towards these acts of so, disgusting um, violence let me ask one, one thing if he had been allowed to speak mm -hmm. how many people and if nobody had really made a, a much to do about it how many people would have showed up to see him speak that night Almost um, certainly the same amount. We saw him come back when he had huge police escorts and massive orange barricades. And yeah, but it had become a cause celebrate at that point. Absolutely, but it, the situation that existed on campus was since the previous year, the, the Berkeley College Republicans were infiltrated and, and being used as a recruiting arm by local white supremacist pieces of shit, also recently renamed and disbanded Identity Europa. Um, These are people who openly advocate for ethnic cleansing. I have. Oh, yeah, I, let's not put up. There, like, yeah. you know. there was a guy running for governor in this state that advocated that. And yeah. like I have. From my hometown. I have shared a, uh, a New York Times page un unwillingly. Um, I was lied to sort of about the situation that this article was going to be in with the head of Identity Europa. Like this is also very, very like close things. Um um, that interviews with both of us were run as these both sides, me and then this big Nazi piece of shit, were the both sides. Um, interesting editorial decision that I was lied to about sort of before it ended up running in print, but the, that was sort of the position, like the, the situation is like, yeah, okay, he wasn't in fact like uh, invited by this campus group. That's true. Other people who I don't agree with have been invited by campus groups like you know Louis Farrakhan was invited by somebody at some point like all kinds of like you know heads of state get invited I'm an anarchist I don't necessarily find myself outside every single talk that every single senator gives 
Um, or like Ann Coulter was here, and we were kind of like, who gives a shit about yeah, Ann I don't Coulter? Care. Like she's she a got piece. Shut, of, she got shut out as well. I think. Well, I think she no, she ended up really. canceling because of canceled. like bad planning and because she was riding the fame wave and it didn't work. Which you know I think also shows that it doesn't always give people bigger platforms because sometimes mostly actually people don't just care and aren't just here to get mad um ann coulter says disgusting things i don't stay up all night thinking about ann coulter i don't i don't care like i've i've but there's a certain brand of of guys like milo who are recruiting for groups that do wage violence against people who look like me people who do the things that i do people who are trans people or people of color people who, who are very close friends of mine communities that are you know that are vitally important to my life and you know and to also to everybody in this room's life and if you say otherwise then i don't believe you you know what i mean like uh, the kind of the kind of like the way that we that we value the people around us can't be overstated and the you know, not everybody around us is, is afforded the same freedoms that you are as a white man in this country. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, so people aren't always there to care when those people are, are murdered or when those people are killed. You know, there was just like 15 attacks in Portland, you know, that, that white supremacists waged on LGBT people. And, you know, the cops didn't really do shit about it. You know who did shit about it? People who were giving people rides around town to keep them safe from Nazis. Like, this yeah. is... That's you know. actually going on more and more in Portland right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine just came back from tour, and, and uh, that was occurring at the club that uh, his band was playing in. Mm. And uh, they were offering rides uh, to make sure that everybody was making it home safe. Because there is, uh, there is a movement on the streets that is making it dangerous again. You, you don't get those kinds of movements on the streets without the national conversation changing because of people like Milo. And ideally, the, the, uh, the idea is if you can keep enough people like this from spreading their ideas, then you don't have to fight them in the streets, and then you can do, do things that you care about. So fighting Nazis in the street is no fun. It's stressful, you get hurt, you go to jail, you catch cases. Like, I, being an anti-fascist is absolutely no fun at all. But like, the alternative is what happened in New Zealand. And that, you know, that guy who, who killed all those people at the mosque in New Zealand, his, you know, his manifesto echoes a lot of those same things that Milo believes. You know, it, it's World there's a direct connection between guys like Milo having a platform and mass murder of people like me. And that's not a chance I'm willing to take. You know, it's 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 I'm going to call you out a little bit because it's it's I, I think it's easy for you to sit and say that you believe in both sides, you know, that each side should have free speech because it doesn't affect you the way it affects me. It affects me because the more that someone like Milo is allowed to point out a trans person in the crowd and out them and victimize them to the point where they have to leave school because they are feared for their life makes me very unsafe. That makes me very not free. That, and that's not something I want to be. And that's not a chance I'm willing to take. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I'm, I'm not sure. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make here. Is I'm not sure the methodology is, is exactly, uh, exactly right or working. That's, I would argue with you on that. I think it is yeah, working. I, well, I know. I get that. And this is how revolutions start and this is how governments change and not necessarily for the better again i'd, I'd have to uh, call you out and say i don't think you're an anarchist particularly because you're aiming towards a very left society and i get it uh i i love uh look i i think it's much more anarchist to uh not uphold 
human rights in the face of upholding someone's human rights. Being an anarchist you know, doesn't mean I let people dehumanize me. Yeah. And yeah. Saying that you want to preserve someone's human rights so that they can take freedom and human rights away from other people is very cyclical and doesn't get anything done. I have an anti-fascist logo tattooed on my body. I take this very seriously. This is a big part of my life, but I didn't flip the table, call you a Nazi, put your home address on the internet right now. Like we're not no. having like an angry conversation. We're having a disagreement but like yeah. i'm obviously like a rational person who can sit down and talk through this with somebody who doesn't agree with me without flipping out in the way of that kind of stereotype and that isn't to say that like people who get mad during this conversation are also not valid because this is you know this is literally people's lives people die because of this kind of conversation um are you but, still are you still writing are you still doing your calling uh no i only had it for one semester oh you should still got it. Are, are you still are you are you out in in the uh, uh, in, in the ether? Are you writing a column? Um, are you writing regularly? Not currently. Um, I do, was do working. You have a platform. <laughs> I do not. I do not currently have a platform other than my Twitter and my band. Um, you were you were featured on. Was it the New York Times? Um, I was interviewed for uh, as You've one been of blasted the sections. on Breitbart. Yeah, dude, you're being handed this. You're being. I don't. I didn't want it because you I know it would, it. it would put me in danger. It would put me in danger. It would put my family in danger. All the people I love in danger. And it would also. Uh, I was 20 when this happened. I didn't want to be on television. I didn't want to be debating Tucker Carlson. Fuck that. Like that was just gonna throw my life way the fuck out there and like yeah. and give me an outsized sense of grandeur, which I don't want. Uh-huh. Um, and I like having a band, and I like you know sitting around a table talking about what I believe, or writing a zine every so often, or getting a chance to work on a screenplay. But I don't want to be somebody's mouthpiece. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to stand out like somewhere and tell people what anarchy is. And there's so many like leftist academics who will go do that, and I think it's frequently a waste of time. They just go walk into enemy territory, make a fool of themselves, and make their families' lives harder. Oh, make difference though. There's smarter Sometimes, ways. Sometimes, yeah. like I'm. I'd rather have my band and try to get as many people to hear it as possible. And, but um, no, I, I didn't think that engaging with mainstream or adversarial press was going to help me or anybody else at all. And it was probably just going to get me caught saying something stupid or get me caught, uh, you know, putting myself out there in a way that would put me in serious physical danger and or just give me a big ego that would be hard to shake. And I'd end up with a bunch of internet friends and yet, no coping skills. Yet here is Bella willing to put Bella in serious danger. Put myself, wait, yeah. I'm willing to put myself in serious danger? Absolutely, you did. Well, you, I, you, were at, you were at an event where friends of yours were being stabbed. Well, mm-hmm. and I've also yeah, been out That was the, you placing yourself in serious danger for what you believe, which is a beautiful thing. I've also been out in the streets on, on occasions, and I've talked about this in the press before at the police if they are listening which they are probably not um probably. a good point I, would be that there's plenty like, of people who this wouldn't come down on in a bad way who have the understanding and the, and the and the necessary voice to say these things or do these things and there's there's not a lot of reasons why the people who are already targeted should necessarily be made to choose to take on that much well, responsibility and there's also ways to go put yourself on the line that are not just you know, poking the press with a stick. There are, you know, I've been out <laughs> in the streets in very, you know, dangerous situations. I've been tear gassed. Um, I've marched in all kinds of situations. I, I, I just want to clarify too. I think his point was that he finds you to be exceptionally thoughtful 
Oh. And that, well, thank you. That he, <laughs> that I, I believe that was what your no, intent yeah, was I'm, in I'm making that statement. That that my God, like you, without even trying to, entered the national conversation. And, yeah, and the right. arguments you've this made here, how... the arguments you've made here tonight, yeah. I think have been very solid. You know, I, I don't see the, these two different. Somehow, sides. you've already placed yourself in that danger. So you've been outed. You've been uh, doxed. Uh, you're already in it. That's one of my favorite lines in uh, in uh, the Guns of Navarone. Well, you're in it now. Well, see, the, the, see, but see, here's Bella. I, Bella does it doesn't feel comfortable with that. I don't think. But Bella, you're the one that is willing to go out into the streets and and do the battle in the streets already. Is that, is that part of your life over? Or are you still I mean, willing to do that? I mean, I'm willing to. So you're asking me, am I willing to go fight for what I believe in? You already are. You already have. Yeah. I'm wondering, are you done with that? Or are you still? Are you still in that? I mean. The work is always there. The work never ends because the you know things are still fucked up. The world is still fucked, you know. And this you know we live in a society that is bent on dominating everybody and hurting a lot of people and exploiting a lot of people. The work is there. The work is there to be done. What I have learned in the last couple of years is that there's lots of different ways to be part of the struggle, you know. And there's you know not like a, like like I said earlier. There's not a lot of romance in going to jail, you know, like I think that some people have that idea. Um, and that's, you know, what to me, what I find value in, whereas maybe before I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was younger, I had these sort of lofty, you know, revolutionary ideals about like dying for the cause or whatever, you know, which I think a lot of people go through. Um, you know, now at this point in my life, I have, I get a lot more meaning out of living for the cause about being part of the struggle whatever that means doing all kinds of work because the kind of work that organizers do is the is not flashy it's not you know it's not um attention seeking often it's the opposite option it's things that we do that nobody knows about there's no glory here to be found and that's good glory is not a thing that i want for myself what I want is freedom, and I want freedom for my friends and for my family. You know, yeah, we're not talking about glory. We're talking about uh, a movement. We're talking about making a difference. Yeah, I mean, so I'm always the work is there. I'm always down to do the work. You know what I mean? And I'm and I hope that I will always have the fortitude for the work. And that work could be a lot of things. Strategy has shifted. You said that earlier. You yeah, know, and I mean, shifted. It made you an organizer. Exactly. And I think that as long as you're writing songs for this band, you're still doing the work. Yeah, I to mean, a certain extent. I mean, not not that you're, you know, upending society with this man, but I just mean you're, this stuff is on your mind. This stuff informs the person that you are, and I think as long as your art reflects this stuff, you're you're still in it, you know. And we could talk until it's light out on mm -hmm. this subject, and I don't know that that's necessarily useful. I think that this was a good discussion, largely, and. Uh, I hope everybody felt, you know, respected, and I hope nobody hates anybody else at the table. I, I mean, I felt like a felt like yeah. an exchange of ideas. I think it's very healthy to disagree on things. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think, I think it's, it's also not a new discussion for me. We've been having this discussion. Yeah. No, over I feel like and I've had the same again. conversation. God, I don't even know how many no, times. I know, and, know? and we don't we don't yeah. tend to actually have these types of discussions on here. And I just. Sure just want to, you know, say I appreciate it. And I think it's helpful for people to listen to people having these discussions as well. Uh, I feel nope. a little enlightened right now. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we can, I love we you can give you the reading list <laughs> if you want. Yeah. We love you, Christine. I kind of just want more history lessons. 
Dude, fun, fun facts it. at band practice. <laughs> I have a coworker who just like, if I ask him anything re- regarding the, the present moment, he'll just dive into a historical. We have a whole zine library at home, you know? <laughs> uh, I think it will be valuable, I think, to hear just people actually talking through this sort of discussion because I think absolutely a lot of times emotions run really high and you don't get into the weeds of like no this is there's like a coherent reason why I believe what I do I didn't just like wake up mad and want to go to a riot you know which I think people are sometimes falsely characterized that way yeah Yeah. well and I think that that's one of the benefits of political music again is that it, it can I believe at its best it can humanize you know my point of view, what I've been through, just as listening to political music has helped me understand people, community struggles that I know nothing about. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and that's what I hope at least that Lavender Scared can do is that at the very least someone can listen to this and maybe understand what I've been through a little bit and what Neil's been through and understand what our lives are like and what the gulf might be between what my life is like and what someone else's life is like, whatever that means, you know what I mean? Um, We can maybe try to bridge that gap a little bit. I think that political art at its best does that. It bridges gaps, it helps to build over walls, you know what I mean? It, 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 you know, it it humanizes us. And then at least, you you know. You were never not human. (laughs) I mean, that's. At this table, (laughs) sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it's then also then you can hopefully find yourself in a place where it's like maybe uh, we don't agree with each other now, but you at least just know where I'm coming from and why the reasoning behind why I make the kinds of decisions yeah. I, I do. You know, which I will is say this about the uh, the uh, Milo thing. Uh, I, this is the first I'd heard that he was actually planning on on outing. Uh, a lot of people had never heard that. Well, and right. Didn't know that that was a part of the consideration. Well, so huh. that's why you got to keep writing. Well, and I'll a tell lot you, of people. This is the first anybody that is probably listening to this podcast had heard that Milo had planned and gone and had been planning to do verbal violence. I don't want to make any accusations here and say that Milo was specifically going to do this thing. This is, like I said again, this was something that we had heard that we that was likely. Also, given his track record, it was likely considering he had outed trans people in the past. But also, I want to say it's not like you know the group of people who decided to disrupt the Milo speech, that violence, or whatever that means, breaking windows, was the first thing that they decided on doing. There were so many petitions that were sent to the administration saying, this guy is dangerous, this guy will out students, this guy will drive students away from Cal, he will endanger communities that are valuable to this com- to this place, you know what I mean, that make it what it is. Please do not let him do this. Like 75 faculty members at Cal signed a petition saying, please do not let this man come here. And they didn't give a shit. And I don't so think, I, I don't think they could have. The problem is that this guy was invited by an organization on the campus, and, and I get it. Let's let it. Let's let it die. Well, I'm just saying. Like I'm just know. saying that. Like we've made both these arguments back yeah. and forth. I think yeah. something for you to meditate on is the holder of this space. If somebody like him wanted to come speak here, and you knew that that was what he was going to do, would you let him do it? Horna's on tour right now. This is extremely relevant. There's a national look, socialist I, black look, metal band touring yeah, the United no, States right now. I just mean that, like, if you if you booked him and you didn't <laughs> I, know I about wanted, the doxing, I wanted to have uh, 
I I would have. Uh, you asked me would I die on that hill? I can't remember the name of the band from Norway. Yeah, and, this uh, may actually be a good way to end your your argument on this. Cause this is a real this is a real life rubber hit the road thing. There I, was a there was a band that, hill, yeah. that was going to play here that Antifa ended up uh, getting the tour yeah, canceled sure for. That's true. Yeah, well, well, what was that band Antifa. called? I can't even think. Is that Marduk? No, but the they mentors? were. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Oh, bands. not the mentors. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. No. It's a really, really oh, bad name. I'm yeah, not heard of I know, right? The Mentors. I wish I could remember it, but anyway, it was yeah. a band that I, I think at some point he had like I, ironically like done the Hitler sign or something in Germany. In, in Germany, um, ironically. Yeah, well, it, and, no, that, he, and that is and that is where and and that is where these conversations was, will go endlessly in circles. It was an anarchist mm. band. They were an anarchist band, and they were a dark metal band, and they were from mm. Norway. Mm. So they played a gig in Germany, and he drew a swastika on his uh, chest. And they threw him off the stage and threw him out of the country. He since played back in Germany. He said, look, here's the deal. Uh, I hate Nazis. I didn't say I like them. I was in Germany, and I felt it was important for me to rub Germany's shame in their, in their history. But here's the thing. And I hate but, but. I hate Jews. I hate Catholics. I hate uh, fascists. I hate... Satanist. This guy hates everybody. That's what his message is—a message of hate. That's so boring. <laughs> well, okay. Well, but, correct. And so, where this is interesting is that you know we—it it was booked to play here. All this information this came before out before we knew any of this. All this information came out. It wasn't even our band. show. It was a promoter bringing it in. Oh, no, look! I but, listened to this band's tunes. But, but what I'm saying is that, that before before the tour that. got canceled promoters were choosing or rather buildings were choosing to cancel the shows and you and i had an argument yeah and i said in this day and age you, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if he what he said was in good faith or it wasn't it doesn't matter about your principles or whatever it's like is this the hill you want to die on it, do you want to get I in the newspaper I, I know no, but I this was an argument that we had and and you got spared that decision because the tour was ultimately yeah, canceled musically Interesting. The son of a bitch is a genius. Holy shit, the stuff was so cool. Uh, it, based, look, it was so dark. It was exactly what he was trying to do, and he did it so well. One of his most beautiful tunes translates to what a beautiful moment it was when his girlfriend came home and found him hanging in the closet. But on the other hand, I think people are saying <laughs> enough's enough. It with, was so well done. But I think people are saying enough's enough with the nuance of hate. I think people are saying enough's enough with like, well, he did the thing, but like, was it ironic? Was it not ironic? And I think that there is a larger number of people who are now saying it's like, no, if there's a question mark about this person standing for hate, the answer is no. If your and, art isn't translating, yeah. it, you know, yeah. correctly. That that's, right. You're not something free to s- from the consequences uh, of your actions. No, yeah. right. But that's fine, and I would have died on that hill. Yeah, and and that's a decision, and that I don't think that makes you a bad person. And I think that somebody somebody could somebody could person. falsely characterize your position and say that implies things about <sighs> well, your heart and your soul, off, just the way that yes. you all have felt like you have been falsely characterized. So. Mm. Uh, But it's not the same thing, but people will look at what you believe and they will draw, they will make assumptions about you. So why, you know, we have a lot of people who come on the show who will not touch politics. You both know that (laughs) (laughs) because because this is dangerous. (laughs) This is dangerous stuff. stuff. This is, and and your argument all night has been not only is it dangerous about your reputation, it can be dangerous for your life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's dangerous. Th- these are dangerous. I mean, I knew that from the moment I saw my friends on the ground 
stabbed by a bunch of Nazis and the cops protecting the Nazis. You know what I mean? That's not something that we got to debate over. Like, that's a fact. Like I was saying to all of you beforehand, I'm th- I was thrilled to have you on because these sort of like deep in, yeah, in the weeds conversation. conversations are interesting and not everybody is willing yes. to have them. So this is an episode I've been looking forward to a lot and I appreciate it. And, and Neil, I would like to see you writing. Um, well, I am unemployed, so I'm sure you will. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you could capitalize. Well, on I that. appreciate you for moderating this the way you have and for being willing to uh, give space to this conversation and give space to, because um, I, I, I agree with you that it is important for people. And I, th- I think what Neil said, that it is important for people to like hear this, just get talked out. I think that that's not a thing that happens. So, yeah, yeah. this is, you know, being in a punk band is kind of about being uncomfortable and about making people uncomfortable and about talking about uncomfortable things. That's what we do. So what what we're here to do. What I think was cool about this episode was the first 60 to 70 percent was very much the in theory. And then the last 30 percent was very much the (laughs) in practice. (laughs) Yeah. And the in theory was a lot easier than the in practice. But I think both have to be on the table when we're talking about society and stuff, you know. So thank you. I mean, everybody and Tom included. Seriously. Oh, thanks. Because, you know, it would have been easier for you just to sit in silence. Yeah, yeah, you know that. Yeah, yeah. it would. No, it would have yeah. been. You know, but it would have been, and that's what I, I'd come to do. I basically, I think, I think it, I've always thought, and this is not a. It, it, this is politically speaking, I think is heating up too much for this country right now, and and I think what what happened with uh, anybody that wants to come to speak their piece. <sighs> I and that's my problem. I I, I love the left, uh, I, because that's what I've been accused of being all my life. Can I wrap up the episode, please? Wrap up the episode, please, dear God. Can I just wrap I up just the episode. Think, I think. <laughs> just let me wrap up something. the episode. My God, yeah. <laughs> these poor people. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. Anyway, lavender scared. <laughs> They're thank, a great. Thank band. you for everything. This was a great episode. Yeah, and happy to be here. And I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to showing it to people. And I'm thrilled that in just a moment, people get to listen to the music because the music is infused with all this stuff that we've talked about tonight. So, I mean, thanks for the generosity of conversation and thanks for driving all this way and thanks for staying up so late with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Absolutely. we're real happy to be here. Thank you so much. All right. And everybody else stick around because you just listened to uh, six hours of us talking. <laughs> and now you get to listen to 15 minutes of music. Thanks again, everyone.
This song is for Chelsea Manning. Stop! 
Meteor 